This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Two Emmys still leads and holds Cavalry Charge. Pixelates under pressure. Tis the bomb on the inside. Near the stand side rail, Gentle Soul with Bay Street Money, then English Tavern. But they're coming inside the final half furlong and staying on for James Graham is Two Emmys. Two Emmys has raced away. Two Emmys decisively. And the fairground stakes by nearly five from Gentle Soul. Abel Tasman all out and trying to close now with the favorite American gal. And she is making up some ground. Here comes Abel Tasman. Abel Tasman and Joe Talamo up and by American gal inside the final 16th. And Abel Tasman will win the starlet. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Down to the last 16th. It's Pulpit on the lead by three. Acceptable to stolen gold. And Pulpit holds up his end of the bargain. He's headed for Churchill. Pulpit takes the toy on the bluegrass by three and a quarter. Kentisomo imploring real quiet to hold on. Victory gallop, a final surge. It's going to be very close. Here's the wire. It's too close to call. Was it real quiet or was it victory gallop? A picture is worth a thousand words. This photo is worth five million dollars. Now here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone. It is post time for the Equine Forum, the show that launched a network. It is all presented by our friends at Twin Spires, and it is all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you once again, right up until 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius 162 XM 207. Our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you access your podcasts. Well, the grade two starlet at Los Alamitos is the lone greatest stakes on the schedule throughout North America this weekend. But that doesn't mean we are at a loss for things to talk about here this morning. No, there is plenty of meat on that bone. Breeding farms are in the process of working nonstop, booking mares to their stallions in advance of the breeding sheds opening right around Valentine's Day in mid-February. And I'm going to preview a couple notable stallion rosters for you here this morning in the first hour of today's show. Going to be joined by Airdrie Studs' Brett Jones coming up in just a few minutes at 8.15 Eastern. Giles Anderson, who publishes Trainer Magazine in both Europe and North America, and also represents Adina Springs, will be here to talk about their stallion roster at 8.35 Eastern time. You think Brett is feeling pretty cheeky about his recent acquisition of Kentucky Derby winner Mage after what we saw from his full brother Dornock in the Remsen last Saturday? That was some effort, wasn't it? And if you missed it, I think it's worth revisiting. Here's the way it sounded from track announcer Chris Griffin. 
Up top, it's the top of the stretch, and it's Dornock who's kicked. Dornock is now opening up that margin. It's Dornock who's up by three, four wide, just ducked in there. Sierra Leone is rolling. Here comes the big bounding strides of Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone from last to first. This is a big effort. Battling on is Dornock who's back to second. Sierra Leone is dugging in. Dornock is coming back. Dornock not done. It's going to be a photo. A photo, and I think Dornock got there. Believe the magic. Dornock battles back. Sierra Leone is in the photo. Then came drumroll, please. It's a tight photo. It looked like Dornock in the Remsen. Well, it looked like Dornock at the end. It didn't look like Dornock in mid-stretch with about an eighth of a mile to go. Green, extremely green once again. And if you listen to the program last week, you got a chance to hear me visit with his trainer, Danny Gargan. And Danny talked about the fact that Dornock is big and strong and powerful, but he's still growing into that frame, and he's still young and maturing, and he still is immature at this point in his career. Well, he was very green after opening up at the top of the stretch. He lugged in, as you heard Chris Griffin say, and then he lets Sierra Leone blow right past him and finds himself a half length behind that rival at that point in the race with about a furlong left to run. And it looks like... For all intents and purposes, Doorknock is a mortal lock to finish second. We still don't know how good Doorknock is going to be. But what we do know is that Doorknock is still immature, still figuring this game out, and still figuring out what he's supposed to do when he goes out there in the afternoons. But we do know that he has an awful lot of heart. And he's got some serious fight in him. And that can take you an awful long way in this game. That's one thing you can't teach. We hear this all the time. You can't teach heart, right? In any sport, a coach working with any player, you can't teach heart. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have it inside to drive yourself and motivate yourself and be the best, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. You can skate by on talent for a while. We know Dornock has some talent, but now we know Dornock has heart too. And I think that makes him dangerous looking ahead to the Triple Crown season next year. Now you can also look at that race the opposite way and say Sierra Leone made the lead and hung like a, a coat on a hanger. And yeah, he also showed his immaturity by lugging in after making the lead, but I think Dornock found another gear late to run him down. That's the way I'm going to view that race, and you don't often see that. At the eighth pole, Dornock was done. Sierra Leone had the race won. Did he lose it, or did Dornock come and win it? I think Dornock came and won it. And I know that had to be very pleasing to Brett Jones now that they stand mage at Airdrie. And again, Brett coming up here at 8.15 Eastern. Last Sunday was the day that journeyman jockey James Graham is never going to forget. I can promise you that. The 44-year-old native of Dublin recorded milestone win number 3,000 at the fairgrounds. And James is one of the most well-liked and highly respected jockeys in the sport, which makes his achievement extremely popular with both his, his peers and with racing fans. And James is going to join me to kick off hour two at 9 o'clock Eastern. And, you know, speaking of jockeys and momentous achievements. I'm going to bring you a special look back 
at the great Hall of Famer Lafitte Pinkai Jr. right around 9.20 this morning. Because it was on this day, 24 years ago, that Lafitte Pinkai Jr. equaled Bill Shoemaker's all-time record by registering his 8,833rd lifetime win, and he did it aboard IB Casual in the fourth race at Hollywood Park that day. He would break the record the following afternoon and become North America's winningest jockey when he rode Irish Nip to victory in the sixth race at Hollywood Park. But Lafitte Pinkai was always so dedicated to his profession. He always stayed extremely fit and worked extremely hard to stay at the top of the mountain. Again, plenty of talent, but a guy like Lafitte had the heart and the drive to go along with it. That's what made Lafitte Pinkai great. And you're going to hear from Lafitte coming up at 920. I went way back in the archives of HRN, and I went back to our our jock talk show that we used to bring your way here on the network, and Christina McManigal spent an hour visiting with Lafitte. It was an incredible visit. And I took about 15 minutes of that conversation, and you're going to hear it coming up at 920. He talks about his relationship with Bill Shoemaker, the fact that he idolized Bill Shoemaker, and then equaling him and then eventually surpassing him at the top of the list. Now, as we know, Lafitte would eventually be passed by Russell Bays, who is the all-time leading jockey by number of wins in North America. He has a record that may never be broken. 12,842 career victories for Russell Bays. Lafitte still in second with 7,000, excuse me, 9,530 career wins. Bill Shoemaker, yeah, he's still in third, 8,833. But if you think about where Russell Bays and Lafitte, let's take Lafitte. 9,530 wins in second place. What's it going to take for somebody to come and catch him? Well, here is the list of active jockeys behind Lafitte right now. Perry Oots is in fifth. Perry Oots has 7,418 wins. Now, Perry Oots is in a remarkable story. Perry Oots ain't going to catch Lafitte Pinkai Jr. by the time he's done. John Velasquez, you come down the list, and the next active rider is John Velasquez. John Velasquez has 6,555 wins. I don't see Johnny V riding another 3,000 winners between now and the time that he decides to hang it up. T.D. Houghton, yeah, he's next on the list, 6,192. And then Deshaun Parker. Look, they're way behind Lafitte. They're way in the rearview mirror. Those records... Those guys at the top of the list are going to stay there for a very, very long time. I can't wait to bring you that interview in the second hour of the show. Pat Cummings, the executive director of the newly formed National Thoroughbred Alliance, is going to be with me at 940 to discuss some of the top initiatives he has his eye on in his new role working with Mike Rapoli on the the National Thoroughbred Alliance. That should be an interesting conversation, too. So all of that's still to come. Plus, Going to take you on a stroll through racing history with Kurt Becker. That's at 1020. 10 o'clock, you're going to hear from Joe Christofek with the Twin Spires Triple Play in three races. You can bet at Twin Spires this afternoon. And then at 1030 Eastern, the final segment of today's show, Dale and Tim, Dale Roman's Tim Wilkin, will join me to talk about some of the hottest topics in the sport today. So here's my poll question, and it revolves around Lafitte and that record-breaking weekend that occurred 24 years ago. So 24 years ago today, Jockey Lafitte Pinkai Jr. equaled Bill Shoemaker's all-time wins mark. 
And I'm going to keep it simple. It's not so much a poll question, but a question of the day. When you hear the name Lafitte Pinkai Jr., what things come to mind? What memories come to mind for you? For me, it's it's the time that I've spent with Lafitte over the years on radio. And I remember one time in particular sitting down with him at Santa Anita before one of the Breeders' Cups there and getting a chance to interview him and walk through all of his Breeders' Cup wins and all of the memories he had of riding at Santa Anita. And what an incredible visit that was. There, there are people in this game, from my perspective, as, as somebody who hosts a radio show and does broadcasts of races, there are people in this game, when they start talking, I don't want to interrupt them. I don't want to say a word. I just want to sit back and listen because the stories that they tell are so incredible. And that was Lafitte that day. I always say it um, whenever you interview some of these top riders, and really any rider in the game, which is remarkable to me, but it, when you start talking to the Hall of Famers that are now retired and have been for a while, the Chris McCarrens of the world and the, the Lafitte Pinkais of the world, the Gary Stevens, um, even Mike Smith, for example, who is currently still riding, but and you start asking them about moments in their careers or specific races in their careers, and the way that they remember every detail of every race, I mean, right down to what happened at the start, where they were going into the first turn, what happened up the backstretch, as they turned for home, where were they, what were they trying to do, what was the horse in front of them doing. It's, it's just burned into their memory. And when they start telling those stories, they essentially take you back to that race with them and they put you in the saddle with them. And Lafitte's as good as it gets when it comes to that. So I want to know your thoughts. So, so what, what are some of the things that come to mind for you when you hear the name Lafitte Pinguy Jr.? It can be a personal memory like me sitting down and interviewing Lafitte. Maybe a time that you met Lafitte. Maybe a time he signed an autograph for you or for your, your children. Maybe it's just a, a, a bet that you cashed on one of Lafitte's horses. Maybe it's, maybe it's watching Lafitte win a big race. Maybe it's Swale in the Kentucky Derby. Who knows? But let me know your thoughts. Go to at HRN on Twitter. You can go to Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook and post your comments there. And you can also email the show if you don't do social media, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net. And let me know what things come to mind for you when you hear the name Lafitte Pinkai Jr. And I'll try to update those uh, responses as we move throughout the show here this morning. All right, Brett Jones from Airdrie coming up next to kick off this edition of the Equine Forum. Presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. 
the best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile, the grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. And two fills has taken the lead. Two fills turns for home in front, in front by two. Mage is coming down the center. Pitch show is there. King Burns gives way. Angel of Empire with powerful strides down the center of the track. But there's one for long to go. Two fills fights on, but Mage has taken the lead. Angel of Empire is a rallying third. Time is running out to catch Mage. Mage digs down deep, urged onto the wire, onto the wire to win the Derby! Mage the winner, two fills was second, Angel of Empire was third, and Disarm came on for fourth. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, all presented by Twin Spires right here on this Saturday morning. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you along for the ride right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. And what a ride it was for the connections of Mage. That was Travis Stone with the call of this year's Run for the Roses. Mage now has a new home in the bluegrass at Airdrie Stud. And Mage was just fantastic beneath the Twin Spires that afternoon. And joined now by Brett Jones with Airdrie Stud. Brett, good morning, my friend. Mike, good morning, buddy. Great, great to hear from you. Thank you for having me on. How about that little trip down memory lane right there? That had to sound good to you. Well, my my trip down memory lane there is different than the connections of Mage. Uh, we we had a horse uh, wherever wherever Mage was. Uh, uh, you know, it was, when he was crossing the wire, if you looked about eighteen or nineteen links behind him. That was the horse I was watching, which was King <laughs> Russell, uh, which was a horse that, that right before he got in the Derby starting gate, we were very, very excited uh, to, to be running. And it was the first Derby starter we'd ever had in the 50 years of the farm. And you have the kids there, and, and you do the walkover, and, and it was every bit as special as, as what everybody said. And then uh, as they crossed the, the wire, I was almost completely deflated and and wishing we'd waited for the Peter Pan stakes and doing all the things that you <laughs> that you that you do when your horse runs badly. So never in a million years did I think I would be listening to that race call and and have the pride that I do about Mage and and I was excited for uh, for those connections because I know like everyone I know Ramiro and knew what a big deal that would be for him. But that was sort of where the enthusiasm ended, and uh, I just wanted to make sure our horse had come out of it okay. So it's funny funny how things work in in horse racing, but that's the that's the wonderful part about it. After you hear, after hearing you tell that story, it's somewhat ironic, Brett, that Mage would have his new home at at Airdrie Stud uh, after causing you so much pain on that first Saturday <laughs> in May, and now he now he has the opportunity to give you so much joy, and I know he's going to. Um, tell me about how this all came together. How how did Mage arrive at Airdrie? 
Well, it's you know it, it's a very different deal when you're talking about a Kentucky Derby winner, and that is stepping outside of sort of what our niche in the market has been. We've always traditionally brought in sort of that ten, fifteen, twenty thousand uh, dollar stallion, and generally speaking, the the Kentucky Derby winner is going to go uh, to one of the one of these great you know monster farms out there that that can bring those in on an annual basis, and uh, it really was just about. Uh, sticking to it, showing interest in the horse, having a great relationship with Ramiro, meeting the connections. And as we got down the line with the horse, it started to become uh, more and more of a possibility, which makes you double and, and triple down and, and, and just do everything you can to, to try to get the horse in the barn because we really believed he was just an unbelievably special stallion prospect. I mean, he, he literally has everything that you could want. I don't know what else you could want when you get out of Kentucky Derby winner by good magic and out of a mare that is uh, giving every indication she's going to be about as important a one as we've, we've seen in a long time. So, um, yeah, it was just, just sticking with it and, and, and just getting the opportunity that those owners gave us, which is incredible and uh, something we'll always be grateful for. Yeah, you got another beautiful gift last weekend at Aqueduct with the Remsen winner, <laughs> Doorknock, crossing the line first after uh, being passed in mid-stretch, looked looked beaten at the eighth pole and showed a ton of heart coming back to win that race. Um, and, of course, Doorknock, Mage's full brother, uh, that was just a, a wonderful feather in, in your cap, too, after acquiring Mage. No, absolutely. I, I embarrassed myself. I was at my son's basketball game watching that, and it was a kind of a quiet moment, and I'm the one, I'm the idiot sitting there snapping my fingers. And uh, when I saw that the horse was was, was coming back on the on the leader, which was – which was just incredible. I mean, horses horses aren't supposed to do what what he did that day. And and Danny Gargan, you know, I I know I'm not the only one he told this. I think he told uh, to just about anybody that, that he made eye contact with uh, before the horse made his first start. He said, "This is the best horse I've ever had," and uh, it's pretty awesome to watch that come to fruition. So special mayor, special sire, and uh, and uh, awfully nice to have have big brother in the barn. Talk about the response you're getting to Mage from potential breeders now. I know it's still early on in the process, but he's he's there now. He's settled in. What type of response are you receiving? It's it's been overwhelming, frankly, Mike. He, he shipped in a couple weeks ago. I guess he got in two weeks ago yesterday, and uh, just I don't know how a horse could show himself better. He, he we started showing him immediately, which is not always the case with a new stallion, and just the the people that have come out. You know, it's you always would have liked to have gotten an earlier start on things, but the fact that we did introduce him a little bit later means that he's really everyone's focus right now because he is the new one uh, coming into the market. He is the horse that people are making a special trip to come see, and and almost all of the of the people that come to see him, they're not only complimentary, but they're they're immediately sending mares in. So he his book will be full uh, very shortly, and um, and that's a that's a great comfort, you know, just knowing that that. We've given him the opportunity. We're going to breed uh, so many of our best mares to him, which um, you know is the commitment that we've made to those owners. And I think a reason why they wanted to do business with us is this: this horse could really stand out at Airdrie, and uh, thankful that he's doing that so far. Brett, when you start looking at acquiring a new stallion, um, I'm sure the process starts during their racing career at some point. But uh, Mage is a bit of a different story, being a Derby winner. But what is more important in a new stallion prospect is it pedigree is it 
race record? Do they have to have a couple of greatest stakes wins on their resume in order for you to bring them in? Or if they have a great pedigree and their greatest stakes place, you can say, all right, this is a horse that's going to be a good fit for us. I, I really don't it's, – it's really not formulaic for us, okay. Mike. Um, there, there's so many – you know, if you just look at the leading sire list, they, they fit so many different descriptions. Um, you know, one of the things that, that is uh, exceedingly important, um, which you, you, you sort of wish sometimes it wasn't because I think sometimes it hurts horses that deserve a better opportunity, is they, is they have to look good on the end of a shank for the commercial market. Um, again, I, I'm not saying that that's the, the, the right thing, but that is to give yourself an opportunity. That is something you have to factor in, but that's certainly not what we look at as far as the, the primary um, the, the attraction to a horse. I, I've, I've always said, Dad's always said, you look for the horse that, that has those, those brilliant moments, that has that brilliance inside, and that, that may only be shown in one start. And, and but it's that you know we, we stand a horse named uh, Bo Liam who who didn't get to win a stake because he unfortunately was injured beforehand, but he was just such a brilliantly talented horse. Anybody who watched his races recognized this is an exceptional talent. Uh, so even though that horse isn't a Grade One winner, you still take a chance on him. And then conversely, you've got a horse like Mage who anyone can understand the attraction to him. He's he's you know, you don't want to say a no-brainer because that sounds silly, but but that's you know he's he's got everything. Um, but you've got to be willing to 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 take some chances, and especially the game that we play when we are competing with so many of these big farms uh, that have you know what seemingly unlimited funds uh, to go in and and buy some of these stallions. Then then we have to sort of uh, zag a little bit when they're zigging, or zag when or zig when they're zagging, or whatever the expression is. But uh, something something to uh, make sure that we can put a horse in the barn that we really believe in and, and that we can afford to uh, afford to go out and, and, and uh, support the way we want to. Visiting with Airdrie Studs, Brett Jones here on the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRN. Um, Brett, last week on the show, I talked with Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin on our I Ask, They Answer segment, and one of the topics we discussed was the number of mares bred to – certain stallions. So for example, a stallion that, that breeds 200 plus mares, uh, in a single season, is that, is that too much? Um, should that not be allowed to happen? And should the number be limited to maybe 175 to 200 or whatever, whatever parameters you want to put on it? Number one, how do you determine the number of mares that you're going to breed to each of the stallions? And then number two, what do you view as the sweet spot number as an industry, um, in terms of the number of mares breeding to stallions? Well, I think if you look at our numbers, then you know what, what our philosophy is. And that's we've always been sort of that 160-plus number. That's where we'd like to have Mage. Um, we bred uh, – uh, we've, we've stepped a little bit beyond that, but, but we've never gone for the, for the monster books. Uh, you know, it's a personal philosophy. Part of that is we are uh, the biggest supporters of our stallions. We, we have about 150 mares of which we breed the overwhelming majority to our own stallions. So we are in that market. We are selling the foals just the way that the breeders are who, who breed to our stallions. And in our opinion, we'd rather have, we'd rather have less, uh, you know, lining up against us when we, when we go to public auction. Um, I don't begrudge someone for doing, uh, you know, making money. And, and that's certainly a, a way to make money, uh, certainly in the, in the short term. 
Um, it is harder as you see this full crop going down uh, and, and these bigger books growing larger seemingly every year uh, and taking away you know, a much higher percentage of what they used to going to the, these first-year stallions. Uh, and that comes at the real detriment of some horses that could be important stallions down the line that aren't getting that support in the second, third, fourth years, even proven stallions that, that people probably should be breeding mares to in order to, to do what we're all supposed to be doing, which is breeding good quality racehorses. Um, you know, it, it comes at their detriment as well. So I think our philosophy on it is, is illustrated by, by our practices. Brett, you've got other stallions there, not just Mays. You mentioned Bo Liam, uh, you know, Upstart is there, Summer Front, uh, Happy Saver. But I want to ask you about Cairo Prince for a minute because if you take a look at the past performances at Gulfstream later today and you see the pulpit stakes, you see a 9-5 to five favorite in that race named Noted, who is a, a son of Cairo Prince. But, boy, what a what a career Cairo Prince is having as, as a stallion, huh? you got to be so proud. He, he's, been, he's been so solid for us. He's just one of those kind of stallions you can set your watch by. Uh, every year he's he's gonna he's gonna deliver for you he's he's really settled into that just rock solid fifteen thousand uh, dollar sire who can you know can certainly step out of that range and get you the big horse but just every weekend there's going to be one or two of them in stakes and and um, you know absolutely it's 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 hard to stay in central Kentucky for for as long as he has and and you see that leash is a lot shorter uh, the last several years horses get shipped off it's it's hard. To, to, to stay around and, and be that be that stallion for breeders in that range that can breed a good horse, can get a good sales horse, uh, and that's why he's got a great book every year, and uh, this year's been no exception. It's, it's been wonderful. I'm excited for Gervin, too. Yeah, Ger- Gervin, Gervin and Upstart, to have them come on the way that they have these past, the, you know, Gervin this past year, Upstart really these past couple of years, is, is really a big, big deal for us. Um, you know, the, both of those are horses that, that started at, at, at very humble fees. Upstart was 10000 Gervin was $7,500 at Ocala Stud, and I think you know the incredible job they did with him down there to get him the support, to, to give him the opportunity. Um, but for, for our business, as I said, that's really been our model, is, is getting stallions in that range, really getting behind them, supporting them the best we can, and hoping that they can climb the ladder and to have these two horses do it at the same time and knowing the good books that they've got ahead of them, the way they improve their mares, that they're, from what we can see, you know, I don't know that there's a ceiling on those two because I, I really think they've, they've got a big, big shot to take that next step and the step after that when, when these good books start hitting the ground because they are exceptional in what they're doing so far and improving these mares and, and getting, getting good racehorses. Well, Brett, I, I'm so thrilled to see the success that you continue to have year in and year out. And I've always said that you and Dad and the team at Airdrie, you just you kind of do things the right way. you know. And if you do that and you treat people the way you would want to be treated, good things happen, and it continues to happen for you and for the team. So uh, continued success into 2024, my friend, and always great to catch up and hear your voice. Mike, I appreciate it so much, but we go go back a long way, and you, you know how much Dad Dad loved you and loved being on here, and uh, uh, just just means a lot for you to have me on. Thank you so much.
Yep, yep, I still miss them. Fantastic stuff. Brett Jones here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. And, uh, yeah, their roster loaded. Go to AirdrieStud.com if you want to check out the, the information on each of their stallions. We only touched on some of them. There are others there that we didn't even get a chance to talk about in the interest of time. So head over and check that out at AirdrieStud.com. All right, when I come back, going to bring you this week's edition of Unsung Heroes. Going to be joined by Giles Anderson, who is the publisher of Trainer Magazine, but also works with Adina Springs, and he's going to talk about one of the members of Adina who passed away recently and did wonderful work behind the scenes, a a true unsung hero, as so many of the people that work on the farms are, and going to hear from Giles coming up in just a few minutes. But first, it is time for your Legends of the Turf and a short commercial break back right after this. On Sunday afternoon, October 28, 1973, 40,000 plus fans turned out at Toronto's Woodbine Racecourse in somewhat less than auspicious weather to witness the 36th renewal of one of North America's premier racing events. It was the Canadian International Championship Stakes over one and five-eighths miles on the grass. The object of all the attention in the race was the Meadow Stable's Secretariat, who'd amassed a record of 15 wins and 20 starts going into the event. He was the American Triple Crown winner, having been the first to accomplish that feat since citation in 1948, had set three track records, a course record, and two world records, and he was unscathed on the greenery. He had been horse of the year or two and was being mentioned in the same breath as the legendary man of war in terms of ability. There was a genuine feeling of excitement surrounding his appearance in the International. His owner, Penny Tweedy, and his conditioner, Lucian Lauren, had selected this race over the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, the Jockey Club Gold Cup, and the Washington, D.C. International for this particular start. On this championship day, people were lined up three deep along every path he took to catch but a fleeting glimpse of this marvelous thoroughbred who had been bemonikered Big Red, the same as the aforementioned Man of War. There were 11 other horses entered in the race, which brought the net worth to the winner to a rather tidy 92,000-plus. The reasons for the competition were, first, that Secretariat's regular rider, Ronnie Turcott, was not to be in the saddle. He had received a five-day suspension in New York, which precluded his availability as rainsman aboard Big Red. Eddie Maple drew the riding assignment, and he had been accustomed to riding Reba Ridge, Secretariat's stablemate. Secondly, the turf at Woodbine was softer and more dense than at Belmont, where Secretariat had great success on the grass. At post time, the weather conditions turned abominable, from a slight drizzle to a light sleet. Late on that Sunday afternoon, Kennedy Road went on out to set the early fractions and continued in the van after the first mile, setting fractions of 47 and 2 for the half, 137 and 3 for the mile. That was all she wrote, so to speak. Secretariat, the big golden chestnut, was set down by Maple and literally exploded in typical Secretariat fashion, zooming to the front, going into the last of three turns. He led by three, then by four, then by six, and then by twelve open lengths, leaving a totally demolished quality feel of thoroughbreds in his wake. At the furlong marker, Maple eased up on the big colt and allowed him to waltz home the easiest kind of winner, by six open lengths in a final time of 2.44 and four, that time being only four ticks off the track record, and this in spite of being eased up, so to speak, at the end. With a 92,000-plus winner share of the purse, he pushed his career earnings to a new all-time single-season mark of $860,000 and surpassed the great Damascus's mark in so doing. 
He also became the fourth greatest money winner of all time, trailing only Kelso, Roundtable, and Buckpasser. It all happened on a meteorically, so to speak, miserable day before 40,000-plus racing fans at Woodbine in Canada, Sunday, October 18th or 28th, 1973, in the Canadian International. A truly great performance and indeed a great moment in thoroughbred racing. You're listening to HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Adina Stallions set the gold standard, all number one in their category. Point of entry, the number one stallion by black type and greatest stakes winners standing in Canada. Oh, the classy point of entry would not be denied. Shaman Ghost, the number one second crop sire standing in Canada. It's Shaman Ghost, an overwhelming force in the last 16th of a mile. Signature Red, the number one stallion by percentage of black type winners standing in Canada. Signature Red won his second highlighter in a row. And Silent Name, the number one stallion by percentage of black type performers standing in Canada. A list that includes grade one winner, Silent Poet. Silent Poet in front, Admiralty Pier out the ground, but Silent Poet has won the Highlander Stakes. And don't forget Adina's new sire, American Guru. His first crop are now yearlings of 2023. American Guru, the son of Unbridled Song, whose family have already set their gold standards around the world. Heroes in the world of sports are not uncommon. Oftentimes, thrusting themselves into the limelight through unimaginable feats. Back behind the ball, Woods, Hudson. The 2019 Masters Champion. And breathtaking performances. Here's how you count to eight. Three, two, one. And for the eighth time, college basketball's national championship trophy is coming home to Kentucky. But behind every great hero, there are others. Individuals who play a crucial role in the achievements of those we read about in the headlines. The ultimate team players. Content to stand behind the curtain, embracing their place as a vital part of a sport's success. In horse racing, these are the unsung heroes. In a sport loaded with unsung heroes, so often we find those individuals on the farms throughout our sport and the people who get up early every single day and do their jobs and you don't often hear about the contributions they make to the success of the sport that is the case with this week's unsung hero i recognize dermot carty who was a friend of mine passed away september 22nd dermot spent more than 30 years working as part of frank stronach's adina springs breeding and racing operation did a wonderful job and i always enjoyed our visits and i wanted to remember him uh, in this segment on this Saturday morning. And to do that is Giles Anderson. He is the man behind Anderson and Company Publishing. He publishes Trainer Magazine, uh, which you can catch here in the North America and in Europe. And uh, he also 
uh, helps Dermot um, with the Adina Spring side of things. So, Giles, good morning, my friend. Really appreciate you taking a little time to recognize Dermot here this morning. That's quite all right. My pleasure to be joining you this morning. Yeah, you know, it, so Dermot, it, what a... it, the news came as a, a shock to me when I heard it. I know he was dealing with some health issues and um, dealing with COVID-19, and we had talked through that process too. Um, but, you know, you think about all of the people that work on the farms. Certainly at Adina Springs, there are others beside Dermot, but the contributions that they make to this game are just invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dermot was a far, was a far-reaching um, involvement within the uh, the sport. Obviously, a lot of people remember him just for Adina Springs, but he was uh, passionate about um, the promotion and growth of the Ontario program uh, for quite some time. And not only just Adina uh, Sires that he was involved with, he also recruited a number of other stallions um, into Ontario in his time, um, and obviously internationally as well. Um, people forget about his role with Kirsten Rousing over at Landweight. Um, one great horse that he's got her was Bobby's Kitten, um, and would find, um, you know, sort of horses uh, for, for people and made that a real passion. And also his passion for getting new people into the game and seeing them through the whole sort of process of um, a life with thoroughbreds, whether it be buying their first yearling or getting them into the breeding game and helping, advising them and seeing them along the way. Um, so his, his legacy will live on for a long, long time. And you've got to remember um, that he acquired the likes of El Prado back in 1993. It was quite a protracted battle to get the horse. Um, it was going to go to India at one point, and uh, if it hadn't been for Dermot, well, you could quite easily argue that we wouldn't have had the likes of Medagliadoro or Kitten's Joy um, on uh, the Silas in, in, in the world today. Yeah, the one word that comes to mind when I think about when I think about Dermot was passion, because every time I talked to him, he was always so passionate and enthusiastic about his job and about. Adina Springs in general, because he loved Adina Springs, he loved Frank Stronach, and he was always so passionate. Absolutely. I mean, he was passionate in whatever um, he did. Before he came into working full-time in the thoroughbred world, um, he was uh, quite big in the insurance business and also the restaurant business up in um, up in Ontario. And I swear that man could have written a book about 50 ways to cook a Brussels sprout. I mean, he was just <laughs> passionate, even at sort of detail, detail like that, and would share with people and would always make people feel sort of at home and welcome and would always be on the phone with ideas. And we had a rule in my house, you know, I spent most of my time over in Europe. And it would be sort of, uh, Dermot, you can't call after 8 o'clock my time, which is, uh, say, 3 o'clock um, Eastern. And he would, this would last for about a day. And two days later, it would be a phone call at 10 past 8. And he would say, I've got an idea. I've got something that we've got to do. Or, or this, what about, what do you think about this? And, you know, he, he, he was a great thinker and always looking after people and looking out for people and researching pedigrees. He had the most incredible knowledge of, of, of pedigrees as well. Um, but it's just, even on the backstretch, you see people at Woodbine um, or any sort of track in North America, but predominantly at Woodbine. You know, and he was always out there looking for the, you know, after the small guy, um, the small owner, the trainer that might have had an issue or a problem and always champ wanted to champion people. And if he liked you, you know, he was a friend for life. You know, I, this segment, Unsung Heroes, of course, recognizing Dermot here this morning and really a tribute to all of those individuals that work on the farm in our industry and do this great work. But 
Giles, you know very well as the publisher of Trainer Magazine that there are so many people at the racetracks working behind the scenes with the trainers that help make this sport a success. And all of them really deserve to be recognized as unsung heroes too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we started to publish a list of, um, of, of or articles on based on different personalities that, uh, that that make the world go round. And it doesn't necessarily have to be um, the A-list trainer. Um, we make a great thing about, you know, sort of publishing some of the backstories on, on some owners. And also in this past year, we did a whole piece on Jerry Dixon Jr. Um, and his, you know, sort of life and times out, out post, you know, the Derby um, a couple of years back. And it's always good to, for us to try and publish, you know, sort of stories about a lot of the people that do make up the whole, um, I suppose, jigsaw of racing, um, not just publishing stuff on, on the big people, but there are a lot of people out there, whether it be with therapeutic um, treatments, et cetera, et cetera, or people wanting to do things differently um, that might not have necessarily had a big voice. It's always good to tell their story because I tell you what, as Dermot always used to say to me, you can listen to a hundred people and learn five things and put one of those things into practice. That's a, a series of marginal gains, as he used to call them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I remember him saying those things to me too. Uh, you know, one thing I would do with, with Dermot when he would join me on the program over the years would be to spend some time talking about the Adina Stallions. And he was always so proud to to go through all of their, their resumes, if you will, and, and talk about, you know, the programs that Adina has put together for them. So I'll do that with you here this morning if you're okay with it, Giles. Um, there are Absolutely. several stallions standing at Adina still, you know, point of entry, silent name, American guru, just to name a few. So take it from the top. When you think about the Adina stallion roster, what what things are you most proud of and, and do you focus on um, most predominantly? Well, you've got to start at the top, as you say, look at a horse like silent name. Um, still remains the only son of Sunday silence that started in North America. And, you know, we were putting pages together recently for the Blood Horse Stallion Register and looking at their stats. And according to their stats, now this is based on horses who've had a minimum of 55 starters. He's the leading Canadian-based sire outside of Kentucky. Now, include the Kentucky sires, and he's number 11 on the national list uh, with way by, you know, the cheapest fee for 2024. You know, he's had a great year this year selling um, a yearling of his sold on the last day um, a Keeneland September for $185,000. His half-brother is in France, Galloway, um, who stands for approximately 45000 U.S. And this year is the leading sire of two olds in France and a sire of two um, Group 1 winners. And his fee's actually been reduced for next year, down to 8000 It's a restricted book. That's 8000 Canadian. Um, but he's the, the, the benchmark, shall we say, of, uh, of, of the Adina uh, stallion roster. Obviously, in Kentucky, um, you've got uh, two stylings with, that stand at, um, at Hillendale. Um, Go Sapper, obviously, being the uh, the one that's really set the world alight um, this year, uh, or continues to. And then we've in, in Canada, um, Charmin Ghost, who I'd say is uh, Go Sapper's best son um, by far. And he's got his first crop of Ontario side runners to start in 2024. And he's had now eight individual stakes performers. And remember, he's been in California, Kentucky, and now very much calls Ontario his home. And he is going to be part of a new initiative next year, which is the uh, Dina Breedback Initiative uh, for him and Charmin Ghost, where you get a 1,000 Canadian off the published fee for returning mares bred back to either Signature Red or Charmin Ghost. And I know that Frank really wants to support his first 
those Ontario breeders who've, who, who've stuck with him, as I say, 2024 will see his first crop of Ontario, runner, Ontario side runners on the track. Um, so he's he's a, a, a lovely horse, and I think he's you know had a recent uh, two-year-old stakes winner um, at Woodbine the other day with Shaman's Girl. Um, he's going to be one that is really going to come into his own now that he's breeding, um, have his first Ontario bred mares on the track. And then you've obviously got point of entry in this year. He's uh, the Canada's number one living sire by Prussian Yearnings Turf Sire and average earnings per runner on turf. He's had his best uh, win percentage to run a year to date at 53%. Remember, that's a lifetime 72% winner to runner ratio from seven crops of racing age. And uh, his fee for next year is going to stick at 7,500 uh, Canadian. And then you've got American Guru with his first runners in 2024. His dam, Carmigi, is a three-quarter sister to Indy 500. So of course, is Dam herself, Magni Cause, and then a, a Magical Crown, who's the Dam of Good Effort, who's been a, a, a horse that's rather shot under the radar, but has been a great stakes winner on dirt and synthetics in Europe and the Middle East. And, you know, bearing in mind that his first runners are going to be on the track uh, this year, um, we've, the Adina have reduced his fee to 2,500 uh, Canadian. Obviously, it's a slight leap of faith with a horse like that, but Frank's standing by him and believes that uh, you know with being a son of unbridled song he's got plenty to shout about um this coming year and then of course there's signature red the only son of bernstein that's studying canada um and he is owned by a lovely breeder called howie walton um howie has uh, done very well with uh, with with, the, with with his sons and daughters that he's uh, sorry his daughters that he's bred to signature red um and or his mare sorry that he's bred to signature red and you know has has had some notable successes and he stands at 69.9 starters winners lifetime and at 5000 canadian um he's also another one that probably slightly blue collar horse but does get stakes horses and has had um some notable rnas at the ontario uh, south in the past few years because um his breeder howie walton absolutely stands by him and believes in the horse and uh yeah, he's, uh, he, he does sire uh, winners. Talking with Giles Anderson of Trainer Magazine and uh, Dina Springs here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Uh, I can tell you, Giles, that Dermot would be extremely proud of the way that you just went through the resumes of each of those stallions. Um, I know he's smiling somewhere listening to you talk about them. Um, Frank Stronach, who is, of course, the man behind Adina Springs, and I've told this story many times on the show, he was – extremely instrumental in helping me and helping us in general horse racing radio network get off the ground about 20 years ago uh he was extremely supportive and you talk about passion when it comes to Dermot Carty the, the passion of Frank Stronach even over all these years has not has not wavered at all he's still extremely passionate about the game and about these stallions too yeah absolutely Frank remains um, pivotally involved uh, with the Adina Stallion yeah. operation, and on a day-to-day basis, um, is is just absolutely has his finger on the pulse. I went to see him obviously after um, Dermot passed and went to his funeral. And uh, typically with Frank, um, he says, "Giles, yeah, you can come and see me for an hour, yeah." And so, of course, I rock up there at 9.30 in the morning, and it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we're still yabbering away um, in his lovely restaurant. If you ever get a chance to go um, out into Aurora, um, Frank's got his uh, Frank's Kitchen, um, which is uh, selling some uh, great organic food. And he's also got his new 
um, electric uh, vehicle, which is like a, I suppose, would be a, an around town that goes at maximum 20 miles per hour. But this is his new project that he's absolutely passionate about. And for the age that he is, the man never stops and, you know, still loves his horses, loves his racing um, and is a great believer in the stallion roster that we've uh, that, the, the, that the, the team have got for uh, 2024. Well, Giles, I really appreciate you taking some time here this morning to remember Dermot, to talk about his life in racing and, and his career and, and discuss his passion, too, for the game. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Dermot and all of the people who work on the farms and do these things behind the scenes are true unsung heroes and uh, really appreciate the time here this morning, my friend. I look for, well, Thank you for having me on, and uh, I look forward to chatting in the future, Mike. 100%. We'll definitely do it. Appreciate it, Giles. Giles Anderson right, here bless. on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Um, yeah, and by the way, if you're interested in learning more about Giles and his Trainer Magazine, you can visit their website. It's really cool. TrainerMagazine.com. It's really simple. Go there and check it out. You can you can subscribe to the magazine and get those delivered to you anywhere in the world. Um, I believe it's anywhere in the world, at least in Europe and in North America. So you can check that out. And my thanks to Giles for taking time to remember Dermot on this Saturday morning. That segment, Unsung Heroes, brought to you by our friends at Woodbine Entertainment. I'm back after this short word from Woodbine. The thrill of world-class racing now at Toronto's Woodbine Racetrack. Kick off the weekend's action now with racing each Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, beginning at 1.05 p.m. Eastern. With more than 64 million in purses this season, you'll enjoy world-class racing and training facilities with the top turf racing in North America over the prestigious E.P. Taylor Turf Course. You won't want to miss racing at Woodbine. For wagering updates, handicapping tips, racing news, and more, visit woodbine.com. When I come back, I'll update you on this morning's question of the day, and I'll get you ready for hour number two. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Small cell lung cancer can affect anyone, not only smokers. The good news is early lung cancer screenings can detect small cell lung cancer before it spreads when the disease is most treatable. Join Stand Up to Cancer and Jazz Pharmaceuticals to raise awareness of small cell lung cancer and accelerate the pace of research. Ask your healthcare provider about screening options that might be right for you or a loved one. Visit standuptocancer.org slash lung to learn more. What's up, y'all? I'm Kelly Clarkson, and as the daughter of a school teacher, I know just how important education is. No matter how old you are or your situation, continuing to learn will enrich your life and help remove barriers you didn't even know were there. So much opportunity, y'all. Whether it's a foreign language, history, or a different way to look at things, take some time each day to learn something new. This message is courtesy of the United States Air Force. 
Jason John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather, back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. As they leave the three-eighths pole to turn, it's Irish Nip still being tested by laps and bounce. There's a head between them. Right attitude, a length and a half away, locked away on the inside of King of Cat. Wider out, quiet one, looming into the picture. They're followed by Lord of Speed, Killaway of three deep, and back on the fence comes Golden General. Into the stretch, three sixteenths to go. Pink Guy still got the head in front with Irish Nip, laps and bounds about to drop off, but quiet one represents Big Danger on the outside, past the eight pole, Irish Nip still a length in front. Pink Guy gets a whiff of immortality as Irish Nip is finding plenty on the lead. Responding to the Pink Guy's power, it's Irish Nip. Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. That is the way it sounded 24 years ago tomorrow when Lafitte Pinkai Jr. surpassed Bill Shoemaker as the all-time leading jockey in racing history. At that time, he was number one. He currently sits as number two on the list behind Russell Bays. But what a moment that was. Again, that occurred December 10th, 1999, and Irish Nip was the name of the horse. You're going to hear from Lafitte Pinkai Jr. coming up at 9.20 Eastern. He joined Christina McManigal on our Jock Talk program um, a few years back, and he got a chance to share some stories about his relationship with Bill Shoemaker and the day that he ended up breaking the record and surpassing Shoemaker, who he described in that conversation as being his idol. You're going to hear that conversation coming up in a few minutes, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Um, hour two is going to kick off with James Graham, Mr. 3000. He picked up that milestone victory last Sunday at the fairgrounds. He'll be with me in just about three or four minutes from right now. Then Lafitte at 920, 940. Pat Cummings, the executive director of the National Thoroughbred Alliance, is going to talk about the initiatives that they are tackling and uh, some of the things he has his eye on right now with owner Mike Rapoli as part of that organization. 10 o'clock Eastern, Joe Christofak will join me for this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. 10.20, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And in the final segment of the show at 10.30 Eastern, Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin will join me for I Ask, They Answer. And I will ask them 
the same question I'm asking you for our question of the day, and that is when you hear the name Lafitte Pinkai Jr., what things come to mind for you personally? Could be a race that you won with him, you know, a bet. It could be, um, could be watching him win a big race. Could be just meeting him. Whatever the case might be, let me know your thoughts. You can go to at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook to weigh in. And you can also email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net. And there are plenty of responses coming in here on our Twitter feed. So let me go ahead and update you here. Kevin says his memory of Lafitte is Sham, who, of course, never could get by Secretariat, but was a pretty darn good racehorse. Swale, Lafitte's Derby winner, is what Michelle has to say. She loves Swale and that moment for Lafitte. Um, Evers on Twitter says uh, he was a different breed. I remember being a kid, seeing him run on the beach at Del Mar. He looked like a chiseled sculpture. He looked like he could still ride today. Yeah, he certainly does. And uh, Mark Henning, trainer Mark Henning, commenting and saying, he rode my first winner, Arabian Ace, at Hollywood Park in 1992. How cool is that? I did not know that. Great stuff there. Keep those responses coming at HRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. And here is a response from Facebook. Rodney chimes in and says, Swale is his Lafitte Pinkai Jr. memory. And you can also email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net, which is uh, what Larry LT in Louisville has done. He said, love to listen to him tell stories about shoe. And again, Larry, stay tuned. You got a good one coming up at 920 Eastern. And then Tom in St. Louis um, says that uh, he remembers Lafitte playing a cameo as a waiter in an episode of The Rockford Files with James Garner. Howard Costell um, Howard Cosell, excuse Howard, wait a minute, what name is this? Howard Costello, <laughs> talking about him before the preakness. I believe he means Howard Cosell. Uh, he said, I did not know California racing very much. He always heard that Lafitte was a good guy. And I can tell you, Tom in St. Louis, he is a fantastic guy. Appreciate those responses. Keep them coming. Um, Mike at horseracingradio.net. All right, Hour 2 is coming up next. It kicks off with Mr. 3000, James Graham. You're going to enjoy this visit. I'm back with Hour 2 right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Hour two of three rolling on on this Saturday morning, the ninth day of December 2023. If you missed any portion of the first hour of the program, my conversations talking about some of the sport's top stallions with Brett Jones of Airdrie Stud and Giles Anderson recognizing and remembering Dermot Carty and talking about the Adina Spring Stallions. All you have to do is head back to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen whenever you get some time. We podcast all of our shows for you there, not just the Equine Forum. And, by the way, you can uh, check us out on every podcast platform, whether you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or Spotify. However you do it, type in Horse Racing Radio Network, and you'll be able to listen to us there. Follow us on social media, at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. And when you're on our website, don't forget to subscribe to our 
email newsletters that are sent twice a week to keep you in the loop about guests that are coming up on the shows and some of the content we're bringing your way each and every week. You can subscribe for free right there at horseracingradio.net and have those newsletters sent to you in an email. Well, it was a special day last Sunday at the fairgrounds for jockey James Graham, who picked up career win number 3,000, and it was a special moment for him and for his family and for all of those who have helped to get James to this point in his career. And there have been several, and he is always very conscious of that. And James is with me now here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. James, congratulations, my friend. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. You still on cloud nine or what? I've never been off cloud nine. <laughs> well, we know that, but man, what a what a special day that was, huh? Yeah, a, a lot of hard work went into it, and it paid off, I guess. Well, listen, I want to start this conversation by taking a look back at the way it sounded from track announcer John Dooley. Here's the way it sounded. Vortex leads out the quarter pole for James Graham. Going wide is Mohawk Man. Bowler strains away in fourth. Toward the inside is Malibu Money. Far outside, God, Guns and Guts with his bid. And Social Appeal was last as they straightened. Half mile in 47.90 seconds. It's Vortex. And Vortex, finding past the 16th, leads Bolivar. And on the outside is God, Guns and Guts. They come inside the final 16th. And here it is. It's Vortex. James Graham from Ireland to the USA to 3,000 career wins with a Vortex victory from God, Guns, and Guts. Bolivar third and Nervy finished fourth. James, what was going through your mind as you were listening to that call? Actually, nothing. I was, I was just uh, just happy to hear it again. Um, we, uh, you know, you, you strive to guess to be the best you can be for as long as you can be in this business. And it was my day last weekend. How do you put into words what that moment was like when you crossed the finish line and you realized you did it, 3,000 wins? Yeah, it's just very appreciative to everybody, you know. Um, Like, I've been coming to the fairgrounds. This is my 20th meet here and my 19th meet riding here. So it was kind of fitting, you know. And the win comes... 20 years after you won your first race in the United States in 2003 at River Downs. Boy, you've come a long way since that point, my friend. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that and that horse, too. I still remember him, BJ Starr. That was the name of his horse. But, uh, you know, everybody, everybody put in, put me on a winner. I'm just, just very, very happy to be, to be sought after long enough for that. And then most of it was down to Britt, who uh, who pushed me to the to this point, you know. Yeah, talk more about that, James. Well, Britt, Britt was um, when I started. I started off with Steve Elsie in Kentucky, and uh, you know it was tough getting started, and we win like sixteen races throughout the summer, and uh, he picked up Jason Lumpkins. And he had Rafael Bayerano at the time, and he kind of cut me loose, and he was trying to get me to go to Turfway, and I said, I'm not going to be happy here. So I called Britt, and Britt took me on and had a brilliant success with Britt. Um, he pushed hard. He went to bat me, you know, so it was one of those things. He was the, he was the crowning of it, and 
and sadly he died of cancer a couple of years ago in I think it was 2016 and uh, I just wish you know we've lost a lot of friends over there trainers I used to write for and friends of the family because me and Lisa came here with nothing we we built up what we have now you know and it's uh, kind of just a little emotional really yeah, you said that after the race that it was it was emotional and not I mean it's emotional because of the people like Lisa, your wife who was there with you and it, you know it's it's emotional from that side standpoint but it was emotional too James because of the people that weren't there like Brett and yes, you said you exactly. wished your mom was still there too. Yeah, I wish my mom was still alive to see what what we've done and and she was an avid follower she watched over here some so, stuff like that 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 kind of that kind of makes you appreciate life in general, you know. You said when you came here in 2002 to the United States from your native Ireland that all you wanted was a shot, and you got that shot, and you made the most of it, James. And listen, that's a tribute to you too, because you had to work your tail off, and you started the conversation by saying there was a lot of hard work that went into this. So, when you think back on this career here in the United States and this journey that you've been on, what are some of the things that you are personally most proud of? Well, I enjoy getting on the horses, so that's, that's a big plus. Um, I, re- I really like getting on the horses and riding. Um, and that's just the way I am. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy work. You know, if I've got too much time on my hands, I start doing silly and stuff, so I have to keep knocking the edge off myself and it don't work. And, and it works for me. It might not work for everybody, but it works for me. What, what is your approach to getting ready to ride races, and how much different is it now, James, than it was 20 years ago when you came to the States? Um, not much has changed. Um, I show up, and I, when they have horses to work for me, I get on them, and I, I can figure out the best way to get them to the winner's circle. You know, one of the other things you said after the race was that you were quoted as saying, look at the guys I started riding with here at the fairgrounds. Gerard Melanson, Robbie Alvarado, Shane Sellers, right? There were there were some really good ones. And you said, I got educated here. How, how did you get educated by those guys? Because they weren't going to They didn't give you an inch, and we could ride a little bit more. Um, like the, the fine lines that they were able to ride without crossing that teaches you like I, I I took took about three weeks to get really rolling here and I know I win one opening day that year for Ronnie Warner um, but these guys they, they taught me how to ride be cunning and, and, and ride your race and save ground and find the best path without getting stopped or stuck or or stuff like that. And, and we have to do it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the way it was. These guys didn't help you. So you had to make your own way, you know? Well, there's so many human beings that helped you along the way, but you know, without the good horses and the trainers that put you on those good horses, you're not sitting here at 3,000 victories. So when you think back on all of these wins, who are some of the horses, James, that stand out to you? Uh, Serengeti Empress. Um, I went a couple on her. 
question. Um, just a couple. But Tom Amos, Tom, Tom, Tom Amos was a big was a big backer. Um, Mike Statham, um, Christine Janks over the years in Chicago, spent many years in in Arlington Park, you know, and it was it was just great getting me on the right horses at the time that was needed and. And when he passed away, I moved, I, I moved to Kentucky. I went to California for a little spell. Um, went a great one for Doug O'Neill out there. Yeah, yeah. The, the article after the race pointed out some of the wins that you've had at fairgrounds, and it said that you've won at least 47 graded stakes, 13 of those coming at the fairgrounds, including 100 35 to one shot. I've struck a nerve who won the 2013 risen star. Uh, call me midnight who was 28 to one when he won the 2000 or the 2022 LeCompte. And then Ron, the Greek, who, as we all know how good he was, but he was uh, a horse that won the LeCompte in 2010. Uh, those are names that people will remember for a long time too. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's like two Emmys. I've won a couple of stakes on him. French beret. I win a couple of stakes here. Um, there's been a lot of them. Um, some decent horses have come out of the fairgrounds, and you know we're just happy to be on them. You know, what's still left on the James Graham jockey bucket list? I've got a lot left on the jockey bucket list, um, but um, with no more Arlington Million in Arlington, um, I scratched that off in the Mister D stage, which will always be to me. It'll always be remembered as the Arlington Million. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 there's a couple of, couple of races I'd like to, I'd like to get a stab at and see where we go from there, you know? What are those if races? Where, where do you want to do? <laughs> I'd like, I'd love to win, um, the Michael's Mark at Keeneland. Yeah? In, yeah. Um, I'd love, I'd love to win, um, I'd love to win, you know, everybody wants to win the Derby, which, yeah, it's there. If it happens, it happens, and you have to have a lot of luck and a lot of good horses to do that. So, um, you just have to be lucky. If I can get a little bit of luck going, we might have a chance. You know. Why the Makers but, Market, Keeneland? I don't. I don't know. I, I just. I think it is. Um, it's just you know, the best of the milers in the country. You know, grass milers. Yeah. Very hard to come by. And uh I've been second in it and third in it, I think. Um but yeah. One of those things. One James, of those things. Uh, you you've reached this milestone now at the age of forty four. So wh- what is what is still motivating you other than those races that you still want to try to win? But what motivates you and drives you at this point in your career? I still love the racing. Um I love doing what I do. Um, it's easy. I find I find it very easy. Um, getting on horses, the only thing I know, you know. I, I know it's not the only thing I know, but I think I do okay at it. I uh, no, it's all about the horses. I'd what do you think? What do you think you'd be doing, James, if you weren't riding races? I'm probably in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I don't know. Um, but, you know, look, it's, it's, 
a lot, an awful lot of talent comes in, rides in this country. And I'm just glad I'm, I'm able to have the opportunity to do what I love, you know. Well, James, we're all thankful that you got that opportunity, too, because I, I know I speak on behalf of so many racing fans and so many of your fellow jockeys who, who hold you in very high, high regard. I started the show this morning talking about the fact that um, you are extremely well-liked and well-respected by your peers, and that is a huge feather in your cap. So keep it rolling. Continued success, my friend, and here's to the next 3,000. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, safe trip when you get a leg up, my friend. Yeah, yes, sir. Keep a leg on each side. <laughs> yeah, and keep making left turns. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> All right, buddy. James Graham here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. And congratulations to him. But just a super guy. Uh, very humble. Um, and, I, I, you know, he, he talks about, and I know he probably would have liked to have just gone through a, a list of all the people who helped him along the way, but that list is very long. And... um it, that was a special moment, an emotional moment for him. And my thanks to James for spending a little time with us here this morning to look back on that 3,000th career victory, which happened last Sunday at the fairgrounds. When I come back, it is time to hear from the man himself, Hall of Fame jockey Lafitte Pinkai Jr. He's going to talk about the early days of his career, and you're going to hear him looking ahead, uh, or excuse me, looking back on his relationship with the late Bill Shoemaker. That's next on the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When it's time to paint the fences and barns, think Farm Paint. At Farm Paint, you get the industry's best coatings and paints factory direct at low, low prices. Farm Paint is your source for quality paints, roof coatings, dustless arena footings, and more. You can purchase online or drop into a Farm Paint store near you with locations in Heart of Bluegrass Country at 700 Phillips Lane in Lexington, Kentucky, Columbus, Ohio, and Sandusky, Ohio. Buy factory direct and save at farmpaint.com. That's farmpaint.com. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of grade one winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century as his third dam is broodmare of the year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect four for four season with an emphatic victory in the historic grade one Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the grade one. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN. Presented by Twin Spires. They're into the stretch. It's Swale in front by two. In the center of the track, fight over. On the outside, it's Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. That was Mike Battaglia with the call of 
The Kentucky Derby in 1984 won by Swale. A huge win for Lafitte Pinkai Jr. And just one of many in his Hall of Fame racing career. I told you earlier, Lafitte sitting second all time behind Russell Bays, and that's a mark that is not likely to be broken anytime soon. Um, one of the things that I love is the different responses we're receiving to the question this morning when I threw it out there and asked you to weigh in on some of the things that come to mind when you hear the name Lafitte Pinkai Jr. And everybody is going to have a different take on it. And some of you have referenced Swale. Some of you have referenced some of his other winners, which I think is really cool. But one thing about Lafitte is he always, he, he never forgot where he came from. And I went back into the archives here of the Horse Racing Radio Network and found an episode of the Jock Talk show that we used to bring your way every week. And Christina McManigal was the host of that program. She spent an hour visiting with Lafitte about his life and his career. And I pulled about 15 minutes of it here, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And she started by talking to him about the early days of Lafitte Pinkai Jr. Now, when you were young, though, growing up in Panama, you didn't have the opportunity to really attend a jockey school, correct? Well, they have a, they, they didn't really have a, a jockey school. They have a, a, a professor that uh, he, he was a jockey for many years before, and he was a retired jockey. And uh, he used to uh, get us in the corner, and uh, he used to tell us uh, stories and uh, what we should do on a horse, how we, we didn't have uh, the equisizer then. Now they have equisizer and everything. But we used to have some barrels. And we used to put some ropes as a stirrup, and uh, he used to get us there on top of that, and 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 tell us what to do with the reins and uh, how to uh, handwrite and whip and everything, you know. So, uh, but the best thing that I uh, that I learned from him was that uh, you always he he told me he he told us he said, listen, you always have to be in good shape continuously. You always always be in good shape because you never know when you're going to need your your energy and 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 your fitness to uh to win a race and he was so right about that you know and i tried to do that during my career i was always trying to be fit whatever i was doing and in good shape you know try to ride my sources as best as i could and believe me it helped me a lot it helped me tremendously lafitte how did you juggle that maintaining that fitness and being so strong and i've seen pictures of you when you rode you were just solid muscle but how did you juggle that with your weight well everything was about fitness you know i uh, i didn't rely on food that much because i couldn't eat that much every time i kind of tried to eat things that i knew that would give me energy i would gain the weight you know so i had to just try to be fit i get up early i do my my legs exercises I'll go uh, and work my horses, and then I I go and jog around the track, and uh, uh, it's a lot of it's in your mind too. Uh, if you love the game, believe me, it, it can do wonders. You know, you cannot let uh, uh, you cannot fall asleep in this game. You have, always have to be uh, alert and, and 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 learning and and see what you can do to improve yourself, and at the same time improve the horses that you ride. And uh, that's what I did during, during my career. And I, and I know sometimes I, I was there and I was very, very weak riding, but I, I, just kept, I just kept giving my best, you know, and 
and sometimes you you ride horses that uh, that uh, that you win and it give you the adrenaline to keep keep going. You know, you when you become a winner, it's an addiction. You want to win all the time, and you do anything you can to win, and that's what keeps you going. You know, at the same time, uh, sometimes you try to have a good time, but you know how. <laughs> You have to be careful with that. You can't, and Natalie cannot have a good time all the time. You have to watch out with that. Lafitte, I read a funny story that when you were a teenager, your mother was very concerned that you weren't eating, and she kept trying to get you to eat. But you were, <laughs> at the time, you were told that you might be too big to be a jockey. So so tell us about your mother in that situation. Yes, that's right. Um, uh, when uh, I remember when I went to the track, the, to the races because before that I wanted to be a baseball player. I was picked uh, in a selection to go to Nicaragua to uh, play in the Little League and we went to Nicaragua and we won and then when we come back the coach he uh, he called me aside and he said listen I want to give you a good good advice. You are a good baseball player but you're going to be too small. Why don't you be a jockey like your father because my father was a jockey but uh, I didn't know him. He was riding in uh, in in, uh, in a country, Venezuela, and uh, I I I was crushed because that was that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a baseball player. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, jockey. I don't want to be a jockey, you know. But I kept playing baseball, and the guy was right. The coach was right. I was I kept you know small, and then. Uh, when I uh, decided at the 15, 15 years old, I wanted to have my mother. You know, she was working so hard. We were very poor. So I told her that I wanted to be a jockey, try to be a jockey to let me go to the track. And I had to fight with her for her to let me go. So finally, I convinced her and she let me go. And I remember the first day that I, uh, that I uh, went to the track and people find out that, uh, that I was uh, the son of uh, jockey uh, Lafitte Pinkai, they, they, I could hear the guy say, that's Pinkai son, that's Pinkai son. Mm -hmm. So but, uh, a trainer came up to me and he said, and he told me, listen, you, you're going to be too big to be a jockey. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I said, too small to play baseball, too big to be a jockey. <laughs> but, you know, right away I said, no, I promised that I'm going to, I told him, I said, no, I'm going to make it, I'm going to ride. I don't know how many years, but I'm going to ride. And then uh, I started going to the track every day and uh, right away started uh, taking care of uh, what I ate. I was only 15 years old. And my mother got very worried because I didn't want to eat. I want to eat very, very little. And I and I think that saved me, you know, saved me from uh, getting big and not start finding the way. Well, I always found my way, but I never let myself go during, during my career. I never let myself go. I never like, well, I'm going to eat a lot, and then when I come back, I'm going to reduce. No. I When I when I was uh, uh, not riding, it's when I watch even myself more, because I know if I let myself go, I, I was going to have a tough time to, to get my weight down, so I never did, you know, all throughout my career. And I, all to this time, I never let myself go. I always watch what I eat. I still look very, people, when they see me on the track, they say, why don't you come back to riding? Because I still look small, you know, mm -hmm. I still look uh, like I could ride a horse, and uh, and and I feel great this way, you know? Um, I'm still, I'm an athlete. When you first arrived to the States, was there one 
particular rider that you looked up to and you wanted to copy their style? Oh, definitely. Well, I didn't want to copy the style because we were different, but I, I love the way he was. I, I love Bill Shoemaker. He was my idol. I used to hear from him uh, since I was a little kid. And uh, coming over here and meet him and, and, and become his friend, you know, that was uh, that was so, so nice, you know. And uh, we became a good friend, and uh, I just loved the, his disposition. I was very, uh, I used to get mad when I didn't win a race or I got, um, I got uh, shot off in the race and I would get very upset. And, and then at nighttime when I go out with, uh, I will, will go out with him, you know, and, and, and he would say, listen, just take it easy. I said, you're young, you're going to learn. He said, I used to be the same way. Don't worry. He said, but uh, you got to change. You just change. Everybody, you change, you know, and don't, don't get so upset because, uh, you don't want to affect you for your next race, you know. So just take it easy. I say races are gonna be a lot of them. You're gonna lose, you're gonna win some, or you're gonna lose some. And believe me, pretty soon I uh, it got into me that uh, I have to be that way to uh, to continue. You know, you can't just be mad all the time because you didn't win. And uh, that was his disposition, and I love that. I love the way he was, and uh, um, I. And then there is a few things that I learned from him too. Like uh, uh, I didn't think it was so important when I came to this country to uh, make a horse change lead, you know. And uh, one day I noticed that he was fighting this horse, making him go in and out. And after the race, I asked him, I said, "Shoo, uh, what were you doing with this horse? You kept going in and going going out and going in." He said, "Oh, I was trying to make a switch lead. He didn't want a switch lead." And he said, if you go in the, in the wrong lead the whole way, he's going to get tired very quickly, you know? So I realized how important it is to make the horse change, even if he doesn't want to. And um, I just thought that they automatically did. And if they didn't, it's because they, they were comfortable that way. But uh, not at all. He said, no, make him switch. Make him switch. It's the best, the best thing for them, you know? So, uh, yes, I started doing that from then on. And it's very important. He was so right about that. So, Lafitte, hearing you describe your relationship with Shoemaker and the respect you had for him, I can only imagine how much that meant to you when you broke his record, when you won your 8,834th victory in uh, 99. That had to just mean so much to you. Oh, definitely, because uh, there was a time, not only did I thought he was the greatest, but... Uh, there was a time that I didn't think I was going to do it. I, I, was, I wasn't doing any good. I knew that uh, uh, I had to probably leave California to, uh, to go someplace south so I could try to, to break that record. And uh, I, would have, I was planning going up north. Nobody was riding me, but I, I knew that I wasn't riding well. I was, I was very weak. You know, I think uh, the, year, the years of riding every day and not eating well, it took a toll on me. You know, I was getting older. And then uh, at the last minute, going to, uh, I was going to go up North California. And I changed my mind. I, I've been married uh, for, about, for about my second marriage, about four, four, four years. And I had a little boy, three years old. And I said, uh, you know, I'm going to give it one more try over here. I, I want to give it one more try over here in California. I said, but if I'm going to stay here, I have to change my way of riding. I have to do something because 
uh, I, I, I know that I'm not riding good. If I, if I keep riding the way I'm riding, I am not going to go anywhere. So what I did is I changed completely. I started changing completely. You know, I, I had never been a drinker. I used to drink maybe a couple of, couple of um, uh, cups of wine um, on weekends. And then I completely quit doing that. I started eating uh, a lot of uh, healthy food, like fruit and a little bit of nuts and a little bit of grains and a little bit, uh, a little bit of everything. I put in a little bit of oil on my body. And I don't know, wow, it makes so much difference. I was, uh, was going to be 50 years old. It makes a lot of difference in my stamina and my energy. I start winning races. I got smarter again. I, I thing that I haven't done in a long time, I start doing it again. I mean, I, it was completely different, my, my way of riding. And I'm pretty soon I started winning races. And I kept winning races. And uh, I remember uh, one of the, uh, after I've been doing this for about two months, uh, one, of, one, of, one of the the, um, the guy from the press came down and he says, uh, listen, I have seen you riding here for many since you came to this country. I said, you're riding just as good as when you started. And I told him, I said, ah, you noticed that, don't, didn't you? And he says, yes. And I said, well, I, I tell you, I changed my diet and uh, I, am, I'm, I feel very energetic again, you know. So sure enough, I started winning races, and then I ended up breaking the record. And I'm telling you, that was a dream come true for me, breaking Shoemaker's record. And uh, and then I kept uh, I kept my my winning races, and and until I uh, uh, had a spear and I had to retire. But uh, up to then, I was having fun again, and get up in the morning, and I couldn't wait to go to the track and and and, and ride my horses. Oh, what a cool visit, huh? Yeah, great trip down memory lane with uh, Lafitte Pinkai Jr. talking about the early days and coming to the States and then that great story about the relationship with Bill Shoemaker and surpassing him. Uh, again, if you're just tuning into the program, I've been asking you throughout the morning to share your thoughts on Lafitte Pinkai Jr. Not not your thoughts necessarily, but your memories. What things come to mind when you hear the name Lafitte Pinkai Jr. And you can continue to do that at HRRN on our Twitter page. You can go to Facebook, Horse Racing Radio Network, and let us know your thoughts there. Or email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net, if you don't do social media. Um, Maxwell on Twitter says his favorite memory is the 99-to-1 shot he hit because Lafitte was being overbet as he approached 9,000 wins. <laughs> That's a cool angle, too. So keep those coming on our social media pages. And, of course, uh, email the show, Mike, at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, you're going to hear from Pat Cummings. Pat will be here to talk about his new role as the executive director of the National Thoroughbred Alliance, working with Mike Rapoli on many industry initiatives. Um, will this organization grow roots? Will it take hold here in Thoroughbred Racing. I'm going to ask Pat about that coming up in just a minute. Stay with me. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. 
Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Experience the excitement of Ontario racing with over $17 million in purses and programs. The Ontario Thoroughbred Improvement Program is loaded with TIP stakes, sales credits, purse bonuses, mare and foal incentives, and awards for both stallions and breeders. Visit tip.ontarioracing.com to learn more. That's tip.ontarioracing.com. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. These two head-to-head, Last Samurai third, Folsom fourth and closing, racing for the eighth pole, West Willpower bracing for Proxy, West Willpower digs in, Proxy surges, nothing between them with a 16th to go, Proxy on the outside, West Willpower fights on, but Proxy got it! That's future Darley Stallion Proxy with another improxicating victory. Last fall in the Grade 1 Clark at Churchill Downs, a win that makes him your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Darley Stallion Proxy, winner of the Grade 1 Clark and the $1 million Oakland Handicap. He's Tappet's only Grade 1 winning son out of a multiple Grade 1 winning mare. Performance and pedigree. Just imagine. Learn more about Proxy and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Dornock is now taking the lead. It's Dornock who's up by a half length. Battling on is Soze in between horses. Noted starts to rally on in the Rapoli Silks is going to be four wide. Tightly at the rail still. Give it a whirl who's not done. Uncle Cat is trying to chase. Doorknock has taken the lead. Give it a whirl is giving a good race down towards the inside. And Noted is rolling down the center of the racetrack. It's Doorknock, but Noted is now opening up here. Noted out in the center of the racetrack. It asserts, and Noted is going to win the sapling and win it impressively. It's Noted who gets the victory over Doorknock. Then came a photo, Frankie's Empire, to the outside there of Give It a Whirl in 1 minute 38 and 4. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Noted, carrying the colors of owner Mike Rapoli to victory. He is going to be the favorite in today's pulpit stakes at Gulfstream. And Mike Rapoli has really dived, just taken the bull by the horns and dove in with both feet when it comes to trying to help the industry. He has created the National Thoroughbred Alliance and Pat Cummings is the executive director. Pat, a longtime industry professional, does a great job and I think a wonderful choice for that position and he is with me now here on HRRN. Pat, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for that. Yeah, no, I I, I mean it wholeheartedly. Um, you know, you've you've done an awful lot in your career. You've seen a lot of things. You've been to a lot of places. You've gotten the flavor of racing in different countries. And now to be able to work with Mike and and tackle some of these initiatives we have here in the states, I, I think it's a great fit. Thanks. It, it really is the goal and the intention here that you know after a while it's become clear that certain things just haven't been able to be accomplished. And uh, Mike and and the resources available to him um, have inspired him to essentially to to say I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do this myself, 
And to to a degree, it's it's you know probably a five or ten x approach uh, over what we were doing with the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation, right? Where Craig Burnick uh, made an investment to say, Pat, take the ball and and try and and get some change in some areas of the industry that we haven't really had that. And after five years, we got some laws changed, we got some rules changed. Uh, if you're if you're betting a race in Kentucky today, um, you're getting more money back than anywhere else in the country thanks to the penny breakage provisions, because we advocated for it and we, we put the research into it and we did it and we, we went forward. And these, these things are doable. Um, you know, and I think our greatest source of inspiration is that we don't really believe that the change is either impossible or that the changes have to be all that dramatic. They really don't. And if we can succeed in getting a little bit of change from a lot of different corners of the sport, uh, I, I think the hopes for the future are, are, are definitely there and brighter than, than where we are today. Mike Rapoli is never at a loss for words, and he's never shy with his opinion. He'll tell it like it is. And he has put several different initiatives out on social media and, and within the media and different articles. Uh, what are some of the things, Pat, that you see as most pressing for the sport right now? Well, where we are right this second, Mike, is is essentially in a period of engagement. So I uh, essentially took up this role at the end of October, and we went straight into the Breeders' Cup, and we're in it, able to essentially talk to people there and move that forward. Um, I was on the road all last week. I was in Arizona at the racing uh, symposium. Saw a bunch of people there and, and took a, essentially a tour around America the week prior to it to um, meet up with some key owners. I was in Des Moines, Iowa, sitting down with Maggie Moss, went out to L.A. and, and sat down with Gary Barber. And between the two of them, their horses have made 14,000 starts in the last 20 years. So when you go in, into a sit-down with, with those two individuals, um, you're getting a lot of experience of dealing with issues um, – Racing, aftercare, breeding, uh, and, and, and certainly just the day in, day out of, of the sport. And that's continuing, right? We're, we're going to keep, keep moving in that direction. But I'll just offer this one kind of nugget, you know, a, a strategy. You know, racing has a tremendous focus on the next race, the next race day, or the next big race coming up. But our really long-term strategic planning do- doesn't really exist much, right? We, 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 if, if something has gone wrong, we're focusing on the crisis or we're focusing on the draw for the next day. And there probably needs to be a more holistic kind of long-term strategic plan that is executed. And there is no real leader in the space that is going to take that forward. So if we can come in and fill that space and put a plan together. And like I suggested, it does not have to be a Herculean lift to set out a couple goals. For example, nationwide, the average field size is seven and a half horses per race. Who in this sport is setting out a plan to say, we want to increase that to eight and a half? It, it hasn't existed. So if, if we could have an effect of increasing average field size across America by one horse per race. If the average horse makes one more start per year, we believe that's likely billions in total handle back into the industry. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, races become more competitive. Owners get more starts from their horses. Uh, and right now, you know, you, you, you talk to a trainer. Uh, Mike, I'm sure you've had plenty of them on the air over the years. Ask them, how many starts per year uh, do your horses not get to make because races just don't go when you hoped they did? And there has been no central racing office. There hasn't been a resource center for horsemen and, and for racing secretaries and their staffs to, to, to really better work together. And it, it, it is something we're thinking about in the background. How, do you, how does one execute on that? I'd like to think that, that we can make races more competitive, predictable scheduling, that it's kind of impossible to think that on the second day of a the meet, there's 10 extras in the overnight. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a horseman and you look at book one and you look at day day two of the meet and you say, that's a race I want to shoot for. And the overnight comes out after the first day of races and they've got 10 extras for tomorrow. And you say, my chances of this race going went from 100 percent to 50 percent because they're, now there's 20 races out there that horses horsemen can enter for tomorrow or the next day of entry. Um, that hurts horsemen. And we have just allowed this system to fester and just get a little more out of touch with the horse population and race scheduling. So those are some things on the radar, um, but putting the plan together to execute it is a work in progress, working on some one, three, and five-year goals. And uh, like I said, Mike, I'm hopeful. I think the future can be brighter, but it's going to take some work, and we're really just starting to dive in. Yeah, uh, Pat Cummings with me here on the Horse Racing Radio Network, Executive Director of the National Thoroughbred Alliance. Pat, how do you go about achieving those goals that you and the team have set out for the alliance? Is it a grassroots effort where you have to get in front of people or, or set up Zoom calls and, and really just have conversations? Is that is it is it that grassroots? It, it really is. I mean, so yeah. so uh, I, I felt a little bit like a politician last week, uh, stumping in Iowa, <laughs> right, <laughs> walking around the streets of Des Moines with Maggie Moss, and uh, and and then getting on a plane the next day, and and the next thing I know, I'm in Beverly Hills. Um, it was it was kind of wild, but um, there is an element of that, Mike. Um, I, I kind of look at it as there's four things that we can really be doing, um, and these aren't the actual things, but these are the way in which we're going to accomplish them. You have to collaborate. You have to advocate. You have to innovate. And if that in itself is not going to do it, you have to invest. So there's four ways to be accomplishing these things. And it involves talking to people, talking to owners, talking to breeders, big and small. And I've got a whole bunch of them on my calendar uh, to see in the upcoming weeks. It is, um, you know, our sport is almost by its nature very unorganized. Right, state yeah. to state. Fragmented. We've seen this process with with HISA and state rules, but um, you know, I, I have to say, I, I'm after having spent the time with Thoroughbred Idea Foundation, having worked on a, a couple things that require rule changes or even law statutory changes. Um, I'm kind of looking for some things that we could accomplish that don't require a rule, a regulation, or a statute to be changed. The problem is, Mike, and I'm not sharing anything that almost anybody listening wouldn't know, change can be difficult. And there's lots of people in this sport who want change as long as it doesn't require them to change, right? And so when the change is something that affects you, 
that might affect your future sources of revenue or it might change the way in which the model has been, everyone starts to get a little bit uncomfortable. And that's very natural and easily understood. But if we really want to have a a more prosperous future, a more sustainable sport, everyone's going to have to change. And so the, you know, if you, if you ask me to line up, say, uh, eight tiers or buckets or columns of things that the, the National Thoroughbred Alliance wants to help improve, we want to function and make improvements in racing, in the sales market, breeding, aftercare, education and outreach, PR marketing, horseman support, and of course, in the wagering space. Mm-hmm. Um, if you improve things in, in racing, you're going to improve things in wagering. You're going to improve things with horseman support. You're going to make the sport easier to understand potentially if some of the initiatives that are just starting to percolate could um, could, could be executed. So uh, it, it, it's a wholesale effort. It feels very amorphous right now. So if, if people are saying, I don't really understand it all, I get it. Give us some time to, to work out the plan, but it's coming. And Mike is committed. We had a two-and-a-half-hour conversation yesterday with the folks at the Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders Association, um, you know, some, some really long, engaging Zooms uh, to, to, to bring everybody together. So um, it's been helpful. It's, it's inspiring. Uh, I love the sport. I have since I was a kid. And to make my, uh, my career in it has been a dream come true. I find um, it hard to believe that, that, that Mike Rapoli would be able to talk for two and a half hours. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. Now Mike, yeah, uh, as I said, he's Mike somebody wound up. who is, the, yeah, it gets wound up. He's never, he's passionate about the game. Right. And, and you know, sometimes the way he goes about it is brash. It's abrasive. Um, but the, the one thing that he always has in the, the forefront is the passion that he brings it. Listen, he puts his money where his mouth is too, right? He spends an awful lot of sure. money on horses in this game. He runs those horses. Um, he supports the game wholeheartedly. Now he's involved on the breeding side too. So um, he's got a lot of skin in the game. And it, when you think about this national thoroughbred Alliance, you have been part of Pat, so many organizations over the years. How is this one different? What is it about the national thoroughbred Alliance that's going to allow it to grow roots and to really uh, take hold with the industry? I think it's because the vision is really broad. Um, This is, you know, what we do with Thoroughbred Idea Foundation was, was on a smaller scale. Um, I, I got involved and took Mike's call and had this conversation and chose to, to go forward here because to me, the vision is incredibly broad and exciting for the future of the sport. Um, we all come from different backgrounds. Um, Mike is from Queens, and, and he'll say it on his calls. I'm Mike from Queens at the end of the day. Some people <laughs> like it, some people don't. But I'm Mike from Queens, and that's who I am. And we all have a different life experience. It is the competition inside the rails that you know, should take precedent over everything else. Let's fight. You know, My horse is better than your horse. And for, for hundreds of years that belief has driven the sport forward. Let the competition exist inside the rails. Outside the rails, it has to be cooperation, right? Keep, keep the competition on the track and let's cooperate more outside of it. And it's gonna require a heavy lift in all of those buckets of, of, air, of, of, 
of uh, industry topics uh, that um, you know we're 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 looking to 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 find improvements, and it's going to be an element of collaboration, of innovation, of advocacy, of investment in those different areas to to make improvements where we can. So so to me, it's that uh, this is bigger, bolder and really focused on the long-term sustainability of the sport more than anything I've been involved with in American racing. So um, I, I have um, tremendous confidence in what Mike has, has put forth, uh, the team he has behind him in, in all of his companies uh, that are available to me uh, to work with, to get in front of the right people, and uh, – to, to really interact with as many people across the business as we can. Mm-hmm. So uh, for those that haven't heard from me yet, uh, I, I had a couple of people who in the early in the early days, Mike, right around Breeders' Cup time, I said, hey, give me a couple of weeks and, and let's sit down. And now I'm finally getting my feet under me to the point that, that I can go back and do that now. And, uh, and we're continuing that engagement and will um, in the coming weeks and months. And look, patience is a virtue. But when things have been the way they have across the sport, the metrics, full crops, handle, racetracks closing, et cetera, it can feel uh, it can feel like a real burden on everybody. It kind of feels like a free fall. People don't know where the ground is. We get it. But we're not going to solve the problems overnight. So while there is a tremendous impatience about, all right, what are the solutions? What are we going to do? Uh, we're working on it. Give yeah. us the time. And uh, it, it won't happen overnight, but I think it's going to happen. The word solution is a good one because whenever people bring up industry issues to me and they start going off the rails complaining about this or that, and I will I will quite often say, give me a solution. G- give me yeah. your opinion on how that can be solved, whether that opinion is is right, wrong, somewhere in between, but let me know how you feel this can be solved and maybe it starts a conversation that leads to an eventual solution. And I think that's at the very core of what the national thoroughbred Alliance is all about. It's about having these conversations with the right people and uniting the industry um, so that we can have a productive conversation that can lead to real change. Um, And it it really is what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, that's what it appears to me from the outside looking in, then hearing you talk about it. Um, I, I think it's a, a wonderful initiative and a, a great concept, and I, I really do hope that um, it, it leads to some fruitful decisions and changes in the sport that are very positive. I, I don't know how it can't if we're having these productive conversations. And, again, Pat, I really, really appreciate you spending some time with me here this morning and, and talking about it. And we'll do some updates down the road, too, if that's okay with you. I'd love to, as yeah, we move for forward, sure. hear, hear some updates from you, too. We'll have we'll have plenty to discuss, and uh, I appreciate everybody who's replying to the emails and answering the calls, and um, I'm going to have them keep coming, and uh, lots more to come, so stay tuned, and in the interim, uh, have a great holiday season. Yep, you too, Pat. Appreciate it, buddy. Pat Cummings, the Executive Director of the National Thoroughbred Alliance, and it, it, listen, change doesn't happen without conversation and conversation with the people that have the ability to make these changes. And um, it, it sounds to me like like Pat and Micropoli and the team at the NTA are taking that approach. Let's get out there and, you know, let's let's have these talks and these conversations and see if we can we can find a way to come up with a plan that will help everybody across the board. And his comments on increasing field size is something that I have 
heard and you've heard on this program before when I visit with trainers. Um, and, and the fact that there are always so many extras in the book and, uh, you know, your horses can't get in, uh, the races overfill. I mean, all these types of things, the races don't go right. That is a big problem. And I was glad to hear Pat get into some explanation there too. So, um, my thanks to Pat for taking time here this morning, and we'll see how everything plays out going forward and bring you some updates down the road with the NTA. When I come back, I'll take a look at a historical date in racing history or two, and I'll get you ready for our number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. 
Mike Penna with you getting ready for hour number three. Going to tell you about that momentarily, but I do want to remind you that if you missed any portion of this show so far, you missed Brett Jones, you missed my unsung heroes with Giles Anderson reflecting upon the late Dermot Carty. If you missed James Graham looking back on his 3,000th career victory, that conversation with Lafitte Pinkai Jr. or Pat Cummings just moments ago from the National Thoroughbred Alliance, just head back to the website, horseracingradio.net, after we finish up at 11 Eastern, and you can listen to the podcast and do that on every podcast platform. Time to take a look at a couple dates in racing history as they apply to this weekend. Yesterday was the anniversary, December 8th, 1989, of power to go paying a record $2,922 for a $2 win wager. That's right, 2922 bucks. It happened at Oxarbon on the simulcast of the 11th race from Fairgrounds that afternoon. We've been talking about Lafitte Pinkai Jr. equaling Bill Shoemaker's all-time record on this day 24 years ago. Of course, he would break it on December 10th, 1999. And it was December 10th, 1977, tomorrow, the anniversary of Steve Cawthon in his second year of riding, becoming the first jockey to win $6 million in a single season when he rode a three-year-old filly, little happiness to victory in the sixth race at Aqueduct. Of course, Cawthon, after that, was dubbed the $6 million man, and Stevie Wonder, if you recall, uh, his admirers just loved him, and uh, he was named the 1977 Sportsman of the Year by Sports Illustrated. Really cool stuff um, happening this weekend in thoroughbred racing. All right, coming up next, it is our number three. It begins with the Twin Spires Triple Play. This week, it is Joe Christofek who will give you three races you can keep an eye on and bet this afternoon at Twin Spires. Uh, 10.20, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And at 10.30, I will once again welcome Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin to the program for I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to our number three on... Sirius 216, XM 204 in the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680 or stream us at horseracingradio.net. Hour 3 of the Equine Forum is coming up next right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network where racing comes to talk. is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. To Emmy still leans and holds Cavalry Charge. Pixelates under pressure. Tis the bomb on the inside. Near the stand side rail, Gentle Soul with Bay Street Money, then English Tavern. But they're coming inside the final half furlong and staying on for James Graham is two Emmys. Two Emmys has raced away. Two Emmys decisively. And the fairground stakes by nearly five from Gentle Soul. Abel Tasman all out and trying to close now with the favorite American gal. And she is making up some ground. Here comes Abel Tasman. Abel Tasman and Joe Talamo up and by American gal inside the final 16th. And Abel Tasman will win the starlet. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Down to the last 16th, it's Pulpit on the lead by three. Acceptable to stolen gold. And Pulpit holds up his end of the bargain. He's headed for Churchill. Pulpit takes the toy on the bluegrass by three and a quarter. Kentisomo imploring real quiet to hold on. Victory gallop, a final surge. It's going to be very close. Here's the wire. It's too close to call. Was it real quiet or was it victory gallop? A picture is worth a thousand words. This photo is worth five million dollars. Now here's 
Mike Penna. And the Belmont Stakes this year are going to be worth $2 million, actually in 2024, when it is run at Saratoga, not Belmont Park. Going to talk to Dale and Tim about that in the final segment of the show, I Ask, They Answer, at 1030 Eastern. Welcome back to the program. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you along for the ride right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. If you missed the first two hours of the, of the show or any portion of them, you know what to do. Head back to our website, horseracingradio.net. Check out the podcast whenever you get some time. And you can do that not just with the Equine Forum, but with all of our programs we bring your way each and every week. Listen to them via podcast on our site and on every podcast platform. Simply type in Horse Racing Radio Network and uh, check out the shows whenever you have a little time. Well, coming up in hour three, as I mentioned just a short time ago, we're going to kick it off momentarily with the Twin Spires Triple Play. Joe Christofek will be with me to give you three races you can keep an eye on later this afternoon. Um, and then Kurt Becker will take you on a stroll through racing history. Those segments, so many of you have taken time to, to email the show and to send messages on social media about how much you enjoy Kurt's stories. You're going to hear that coming up at 1020 and at 1030, as I just mentioned, Dale and Tim with I Ask. They answer. But let's kick it off with my man Joe Christofek in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Joe, some good racing around the country this weekend. It is not a Breeders' Cup caliber weekend. It is not a Kentucky Derby caliber weekend or a Triple Crown weekend. But there is a lot of good action coming up all over the country. And, man, I'm, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, it's a uh, it's a Breeders' Cup of sorts in uh, Louisiana at Fairgrounds, where we have the Louisiana Champions Day card, and you know, got thirteen races. We got an early first post time and uh, nine stakes for the Louisiana breads. Super exciting as we celebrate the breed here at Fairgrounds that uh, and continues to improve and uh, prove that uh, the better horses can compete on a national stage in open company. Tumba Rumba being one of those taking on touch upon a star in the uh, Louisiana classic coming up as race number five, not going to be a lot of value to be offered in there. I've got a horse at fairgrounds, but I do like this eight to one in the morning line. And this time of year, Mike, the horses that I follow all year in Kentucky, they go different places. They come here to new Orleans, they go to Turfway, they go to Gulfstream, they go to Oakland. So I've got uh, plays for you from uh, mostly the Midwest, but three different venues today. Yeah, I'm excited that you and very happy that you brought up the fact that it is a Breeders' Cup caliber type of day for Louisiana breads at the fairgrounds today. And we saw last week on the Claiming Crown at the fairgrounds, and we always refer to that as the Breeders' Cup for the blue collar horses. And I spent a lot of time talking about those races on the show last week. Um, these days, Joe, are just so important to the state bred programs. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we bought a Louisiana bread at the Keeneland September sale last year with the hopes of being able to maybe compete on this day. Dual Guru, unfortunately, hasn't made the races yet. I went back to the barn and visited him the other day, but the program here is good. The money keeps getting better. Uh, the quality keeps getting better, so you've got to have nicer Louisiana breads in order to take down races like uh, the ones we're going to run today, but, you know, it's it's I'm not interviewing the Brad Cox and the Steve Asmus and then the Brendan Walsh race by race like I do on a lot of the big days at fairgrounds. I'm interviewing, you know, some of the guys and gals that train horses here in the state, make their living, uh, centered around Louisiana breads in their barn, and it's just a lot of fun to see these people and these horses get their moment. 
All right, let's jump into the three races you have selected, and we are going to talk about a race at the fairgrounds first. We'll go in post-position order, so we'll talk about the 10th race at the fairgrounds. We'll then go to Oaklawn Park and talk about their 10th race, and then we'll go to Turfway for race number three. So race 10 at the fairgrounds is a six-furlong sprint. It is the Louisiana Champions Day Ladies Sprint Stakes, six furlongs on the main track, post-time 5.30 Eastern, 4.30 locally in New Orleans, How'd you see this one, my friend? Yeah, this race is on the dirt, but I do want to mention, I know we had some issues with our turf course last season at Fairgrounds, but uh, I got here a week ago. Uh, I got to see some grass races earlier this racing week, and, man, the turf course is in awesome shape. So do take that into consideration. All of you that love grass racing, uh, gravitate back towards the Fairgrounds because the course is in excellent shape. This race um, is a dirt sprint. It is for... The older Louisiana-bred female sprinters, and I, there are some name horses in here. There are some horses that are going to take uh, betting attention based on their reputations. Those are the kind of horses, in most cases, you want to try to play against. I like an 8-to-1 shot here, Basalt Street, who got really good at Fairgrounds last season, uh, winning two races, uh, finishing second in a couple of others, losing the bell out, who's back in this race, and... She just seems like she's getting better and better with age. She is a late-season four-year-old going on five. She spent her spring and summer at Woodbine, where she was very competitive against open company horses with a whim, a second and a third on synthetic, and also a good second on the turf as well. And now she returns back to the fairgrounds dirt. She's proven over the surface. She gets Jared Loveberry, who I think rider for rider in that room is as good as anybody, and I think he's got a good chance to win the title here at Fairgrounds this meet. And uh, most importantly, like uh, Mike, like we like to say, you know, looking for the value, uh, eight to one, it's certainly there with Basalt Street in uh, this edition of the Louisiana Champions Day Ladies Sprint Race 10. Is it different, Joe, from a handicapping um, viewpoint? When, when you get into some of these state state-bred races, do you, do you approach them a little differently than you would an open company race, or is it handicapping is handicapping? Well, that's a great question because it's uh, got a couple different answers. So when I first get here in December, man, I'm still playing catch-up, and I'm not going to try uh, to deny it. Like, I've, I've been following Kentucky, you know, all season, and then I show up at fairgrounds, and I got three races a day of Louisiana breads dropped in my lap. So it takes a little bit of time you know, to get reacclimated, there's a, a lot of new horses in the population that I need to get familiarized with. That's kind of sort of why I went with this race, because I'm familiar with the vast majority of them, very familiar with Basalt Street. And it's kind of like uh, getting reacclimated, not only to being in New Orleans physically as a human being, but also the handicapping process with the Louisiana bread. I've got familiarity but uh, just need to catch up to speed based on what these horses have been doing at other venues, Delta, Louisiana Downs, Evangeline, uh, the last several months. Yeah, so number three, Basalt Street, is going to be the top pick of Joe in the first leg of the Twin Spires Triple Play. Again, these are three races you can bet any way you like. There is no specific Twin Spires Triple Play wager when you go to Twin Spires, but you can bet these three races that Joe talks about any way you prefer. Um, Just make sure you're doing it at Twin Spires. All right, so in the 10th at Fairgrounds, number three, Basalt Street, 
8 to 1 kicks it off. We'll go to Oaklawn Race 10, which has a post time of 5.40 Eastern, 4.40 Central. So that's just 10 minutes after that 10th race at the fairgrounds. Um, Joe, this is an allowance, uh, allowance race with a purse of 140000 Another six furlong sprint on the main track. Who wins this one? Well, uh, I got to see Don't Wait Up last time at Churchill. And usually when there's a horse that I don't like in a particular race, you know, in comparison to some of the others that are running, and they run well and they beat me, I tend to take extra notice. That's the case with Don't Wait Up, who I thought had a, a fair shot in that Churchill race on November the 19th. But, man, it was a starter 32, and he just ran tremendously well. Now, if you want to poke holes in the performance, it was a rare day at Churchill where inside speed was good. But the pace was 21-3, and 44-3. And, and this horse not only went gate to wire, but extended that margin of victory to the end and across the line and in the, in the gallop out as well. And he just seems like he's getting back to top form and maybe even better than he's ever been. Now, he's on the rail here. There's some horses on his outside that will be able to put some pressure on him as well. But I, I, he fended off all challenges last out. He's 7-2. to two. Uh, He fits in this race perfectly for Gennaro Garcia and uh, decided to go right back to don't wait up. Don't hit the snooze button on this one, Mike. And the rail at Oaklawn, six furlongs, that's usually okay? Yeah, I mean, it's a brand-new meet, so we got to kind of take it day-to-day. I'm fine with it. Uh, You know, obviously an alert break from the starting gate is going to be pivotal for this horse, but – in a big field at 7 to 2 in the morning line, when you're playing multi-race wagers at Oakland with a lot of big fields, even Turfway Park, you know, <laughs> you're going to lose a lot more than you win. You want to be able to maybe try to single horses in a few of these races and, and try to catch some chaos in others. I think in a big field here, if you're playing those multi-race wagers, uh, maybe hang your head on don't wait up and hope that he can take them gate to wire again. And 7-2 to two morning line, we'll see how close we get to that uh, when post time rolls around at 5.40 Eastern. That's the 10th at Oaklawn. The third race at Turfway is the final leg that Joe has selected for you this morning as the Twin Spires triple play. One mile, maiden special weight on the all-weather surface there at Turfway. Joe, a, a competitive race. Do we get some value in this one? Yeah, I like three different horses in here, so I had to decide which one I wanted to give to you for the triple play, but... We'll briefly mention the other two first, one of which is going to be one of the favorites, Betty Davis, who uh, just missed last out of Churchill, going seven furlongs in this same restricted maiden special weight uh, condition. Uh, that one's going to get bet down again, I, I think probably lower than the four-to-one morning line. The bomb I like in the race is number nine, Queen Lexi, who ran third in the maiden, claiming 30 last out, but broke very slowly, finished really well, uh, too late and I even have a notation here in my trip note that says Turfway. I think this horse will like Turfway uh, based on the fact that uh, the horses by Klimt did run well on the turf at Keeneland earlier in the career. So Queen Lexi at 12 to 1. But the horse that I settled on giving you Mike is the number 2 My Happy Holiday for Phil Sims and Luan Machado who's been on absolute fire to start the meet here at Turfway. This horse was second on debut at 19 to 1 at Ellis Park sprinting on the turf way back on August the 1st. If you watch the replay, they hustled this horse out of the starting gate, but the horse had absolutely no speed, made a big swooping move on the turn, was on the wrong lead, but when the horse switched over to the right lead in the stretch, really found new life, galloped out way in front, 
now comes in off of a layoff or a barn that's a little bit under the radar and a rider that's riding uh, great guns right now at 8-1. to one. Uh, I think that we're pointing for the Turfway meet with this horse. Not only does Phil Sims trains, but he owns. So on uh, my happy holiday, maybe Christmas comes early for us at 8-1. to one. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? 8-1 to one on my happy holiday. Here is the triple play. Let's recap Joe's three selections. The 10th at Fairgrounds, he will take number three, Basalt Street, at odds of 8-1. to one. The 10th at Oaklawn, he'll go with number one, Don't Wait Up, at 7-2. to two. And then in the third race at Turfway Park, to wrap it all up, he'll go with number two, My Happy Holiday, at odds of 8-1. to one. And by the way, the post time for that third race at Turfway, 6.55 Eastern. So, uh, Joe, some... some Great value plays. We'll see if it holds up, and we'll see if they can get to the wire and, and give our listeners a little extra coin for the holidays. But, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. What can folks look forward to over the course of the next few weeks at Twin Spires? Yeah, well, we've got the great promotions, uh, the uh, Bayou Bluegrass promotion, 10 times the points, betting on fairgrounds and or turfway through the end of December. And then locally here at Fairgrounds, I know on Fridays, we have the uh, late pick five, hit it and split it with $25,000 or 20, excuse me, $2,500 of free money uh, in the coffers. So if you bet the late pick five at the fairgrounds on Fridays, you hit it, uh, you'll split in that $2,500 bonus pool. So great promotions, you know, great racing here at fairgrounds. I just got here um, about a week and a half ago, getting settled in, but uh, December 23rd is a day to mark on your calendar. It's our Santa Super Saturday, right before the holidays. You've got the Gun Runner, the Untappable, several other stakes as uh, we get the two-year-olds in their final chance before they turn three to earn Kentucky Derby and Oaks points. So it's kind of the launch of the series here, Mike, with the Lecomte, the Risen Star, and eventually Louisiana Derby and their sister races. So uh, gearing up for that and looking forward to it. Joe, I appreciate it, my friend. Happy holidays. We're going to talk again in a few weeks, but if I don't talk to you before, uh, happy holidays. Enjoy every minute of, uh, of the Christmas season, and we will talk again soon. Well, hopefully if that uh, horse at Turfway wins, it'll be my happy holiday <laughs> and yours a couple of weeks early. Have a good one, Mike. Always a pleasure. Amen to that, brother. Joe Christofek with the Twin Spires Triple Play. Um, Bet those races any way you like at Twin Spires. All right, coming up next, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And then at 1030 Eastern, Dale Romans, Tim Wilkin will both be with me to talk about some of the hottest topics in the sport in this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile. The Grade 1 Woody Stevens, winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. 
There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. Hey, this is Bobby Newman. Join me every Friday afternoon to dive deep into handicapping the races. We'll cover the live action from some of the biggest tracks in the country, talk to some of the major players in the game, and hopefully make a little money along the way. You can also call the show to share your opinions, ask a question or two, or maybe just vent about some bad beats. It's Betting with Bobby every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius 162, XM 207, online channel 999, or streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. Last weekend on Equine Forum, Mike Pinna referenced a horse which was given a grand retirement party when his racing career concluded in 1962. It piqued our curiosity about this particular animal who would later become the first horse ever to have his ashes interred in the courtyard of the Kentucky Derby Museum. His name was Carrie Back. Fold the day after tax day, April 16, 1958, Carrie Back was named for an accounting practice in which a business applies a net operating loss to a prior year's tax return. Carrie Back the horse was foaled at Joe O'Farrell's Ocala Stud in Florida, and he would race as a homebred in the blue and silver silks of Cleveland natives and Miami residents Jack and Catherine Price. Carrie Back Sire was a horse named Saggy, best known for handing Triple Crown winner Citation his lone defeat of 1948. But his dam, Jupy, was a mare which had been banned from racing because of a habit which saw her refuse to exit the starting gate when the gate latch was sprung. As for training Carrie Back, Jack Price would handle those duties himself. Price had worked as a hot walker as a high school student and had owned racehorses dating back to the early 1940s. After selling his Cleveland manufacturing business and relocating to Florida, he had begun training racehorses in 1954. Price often noted that he had acquired Jupy for the equivalent of $300, and the stud fee for breeding her to Saggy was $400. The offspring of that mating, of course, was Carryback. Price had faith in his colt, but he was also aware that horses from such a background typically did not win prominent races. Catherine Price echoed a similar thought in the fall of 1960 when two-year-old Carrie Back was being saddled for the $287,000 Garden State Stakes, at the time the richest horse race in the world. It couldn't happen to little people like us, said Catherine, when asked if she thought Carrie Back could win. People like us don't win. 
where the big money is concerned. As it turned out, Catherine Price was wrong. Carrie Back won under jockey Johnny Sellers that day on a rain-soaked track, earning $170,000 for his owners. Carrie Back won just five times in 21 starts as a juvenile, but he closed the season with wins in the Cowden Stakes at Belmont Park and the Remsen Stakes at Aqueduct, in addition to his rich score at Garden State Park. With wins in the Flamingo at Hialeah and the Florida Derby at Gulfstream Park early in his three-year-old season, Kerry Back rolled into Churchill Downs as the 5-2 morning line favorite for the 1961 Kentucky Derby. Reporters described him as a dainty brown colt and a tough little bundle of courage. And they described his trainer as someone who would say, well, almost anything. Asked about what it meant to have the favorite for the Kentucky Derby, Jack Price replied that one could not afford to get sentimental as a racehorse owner and trainer. There won't be any tears in my eyes when the band plays my old Kentucky home, said Price. I get up every morning at daybreak, I eat at the track kitchen, I drink bad water, and I walk through manure. I don't care about the thrill of winning the Kentucky Derby, I just want the money. So the only way I will get tears in my eyes is if somebody else wins the race. Carry Back rallied down the stretch to win the 87th run for the Roses, and Price soon changed his tune. In fact, as jockey Johnny Sellers guided Carry Back into the winner's circle, he told the press, you won't believe it, but Jack is speechless. Some 24 years later, on May 2, 1985, Jack and Catherine Price, as well as Johnny Sellers, returned to Churchill Downs to visit the newly opened Kentucky Derby Museum. Carrie Back had died two years earlier, and now his ashes were to be interred in the Derby Museum's courtyard. As Catherine Price choked back tears, her husband reminisced about Carrie Back and the experience of breeding, owning, and training a Derby winner. There were people who didn't like his breeding, and they liked me even less, said Price. But this horse and this race changed our lives. When people would find out we were in the horse business, they didn't ask if we had ever won the Garden State Stakes. They asked if we had ever won the Kentucky Derby. Writing in the Louisville Courier-Journal the next day, Billy Reed said that watching the emotion as Jack and Catherine Price said their final goodbye to Carrie Back was a reminder that the Kentucky Derby is the embodiment of all that is good and noble and romantic about horse racing. As the ceremony concluded that day, someone approached Jack Price and asked who he thought would win the 111th run for the Roses. After all, that year's renewal of the Derby was just two days away. Don't ask me, I haven't picked a winner since him, said Price as he gestured toward Kerry Back's grave. The man who had asked the question replied, looks like he was the only one you ever needed. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. 
When I come back, Dell Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twins Buyers on HRRN. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile, the grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. The Maryland thoroughbred industry, for over 200 years, the innovative leader. Maryland was the first to have organized racing in North America and the first to establish a state breeders association. Maryland created the first thoroughbred yearling show, the first state magazine, the first state breeder incentive development program, the first international race to feature horses from four continents, and the first million dollar one day stallion stakes event. The Maryland thoroughbred industry is the innovative leader. Undefeated grade one winner Mastery was a multiple graded stakes winner at two, including victory in the grade one Los Alamitos cash call Futurity. On the track, his recent top runners include these star performers. Surprisingly down the outside, Scottish star here, surprisingly surging on the outside, surprisingly. It's Midnight Memories who takes the lead. Midnight Memories, much the best in the Zenyatta. Mastery, standing at Claiborne Farm. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. Wider out, quiet one, looming into the picture. They're followed by Lord of Speed, come away of three deep and back on the fence comes Golden General. Into the stretch, three sixteenths to go. Pink Eye still got the head in front with Irish Nip laps and bounds about to drop off. But quiet one represents big danger on the outside. Past the eight pole, Irish Nip still a length in front. Pink Eye gets a whiff of immortality as Irish Nip is finding plenty on the lead. Responding to the Pink Eye power. That's the way it sounded 24 years ago tomorrow. Michael Rona with the call of Lafitte Pinkai's record-breaking ride passing 
the great Bill Shoemaker. When it comes to Lafitte Pinkai Jr., what things pop into your head when you hear that name? Plus, what do Dale and Tim think about the decision to run next year's Belmont Stakes at Saratoga? And which of the five recently announced finalists should win the 75th George Wolf Memorial Jockey Award? Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all comes your way just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu slash equine. All right, guys, we kick off this week's show with a new segment. If we like it, we might bring it back. If we don't like it, we might not. But it is called Like It, Love It, or Hate It. I'm going to bring up a couple of topics that were in the news this past week, and you guys tell me how you feel about it. Do you like it, do you love it, or do you hate it? So here we go. Topic one, with construction continuing at Belmont Park, the 2024 Belmont Stakes is going to be held at Saratoga. The distance will be reduced to a mile and a quarter from the current mile and a half test of the champion, and the purse will increase to $2 million. Naira is also planning to include a four-day Belmont Stakes racing festival to coincide with next year's Belmont Stakes. So I ask you, how do you feel about this announcement? Like it, love it, or hate it? Timmy? Well, I don't hate it. Um, And being an upstate New York guy, I should love it. I don't know if I love it. I guess I'm going to say I like it. Um, you know, the Belmont, obviously they can't run at Belmont Park because they're going through that massive construction down there. And they can't run it at Aqueduct because there's no there's nowhere to sit there anymore because when they put the casino in, they lost most of their seats. It's got to go to Saratoga. It's a novel idea. Yes, it is. But there's, you know, once it gets up here, you know, you're not going to be running the Belmont at a mile and a half because of the track configuration. You know that Saratoga tracks um, a mile and an eighth, so they're going to run it at a mile and a quarter. And if there is a horse going for the Triple Crown, and he wins the Belmont, which was always called the Test of the Champions, to go a mile and a half, it's not going to be called the Test of the Champions up here. Um, there'd be a huge asterisk after it. I think it's a novel idea. I think the people in this area are going to love it, either even though they're going to the people that are coming from out of town, they're going to think they're uh, in uh, Louisville North because they're going to get gouged pretty good um, with the prices. But, you know, having races at Saratoga anytime is a good idea. But the one thing that I'm keeping in the back of my head, I'm wondering if they don't just make an announcement at some point saying we're staying up there from, you know, Belmont time through Labor Day, which I think would be, which I think would just be horrible. So, yeah, I like the idea. I like the idea of the Belmont Stakes being at Saratoga. <clears throat> Let's see how it goes. It's probably going to be. It's going to probably be here for two years. I applaud Naira because it's the only place they could bring it with Belmont under construction. But um, you know, I do have my uh, 
doubts about some things. Yeah, Timmy, I'm glad you bring that up because you remember Saratoga always used to be the August place to be. Then it became the summer place to be. And it wouldn't surprise me if in the back of the powers that be at Naira, in the back of their minds, they're not thinking, let's see how this goes, um, kick off Saratoga with the Belmont Stakes, and then you know go from there. And extend but the thing too, Mike. They, they have to they have to bring all the equipment up here from New York, yeah. And you know, and then they'd have to take it back to New York, and then bring it back up again. So I'm just throwing that out there. Yep, Dale. What do you think? Well, I love it considering the other options. I mean, I didn't want it to go to Aqueduct again. You know, Belmont's been run at Aqueduct a couple of times when they were doing their construction on the building or knocking down right now. But I think it's a great idea to make it a four-day festival of racing. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Hope I have something to run. And I know that Mark Mark Holiday, being the chairman of the Naira, anything he does, he does first class, and it's going to be a wonderful event. I'm not worried about all that other stuff. We'll worry about that later. But we're just trying to get through the construction at Belmont Park this year. We'll see how it all plays out. Uh, June of 20. 20- 24, the Belmont Stakes, the third leg of the Triple Crown, going to Saratoga. Again, running a mile and a quarter instead of a mile and a half because of the configuration of the racetrack uh, up there at Saratoga. All right, number two, during the University of Arizona Racing Symposium this past week, the program's student of the year, Eric DeCoster, suggested revamping claiming races by moving to a handicap rating system in those events and making all races Optional claiming races. Dale, how's this one hit you? Do you like it, love it, or hate it? I love it on paper. I hate it in practicality. I don't think it could ever really be done. I mean, it's one of those things that on paper sounds like it would be fine, but it would be a logistical nightmare. I don't know who's going to do all the handicapping for all the racetracks around the country that we have racing. It's not like in Hong Kong where they run 84 days for the whole year and they don't have any claiming races. They just put them in classes. I just uh, I think it sounds good on paper, but not something that would ever work. So I'm going to have to hate it. I mean, I I, I love the fact that uh, we have these new voices, young voices that are interested in the sport, and he makes some good points. But you know, <clears throat> I mean, it's confusing just the way they. I think a lot of people are confused just the way races are written anyway. But um, I, I I think that. His, well, his ideas are okay. I mean, what track is going to do it? Um, it's, it's, that's the one thing that I don't know if there's anything that could come, come of that. Like the track has to say, oh, yeah, we like this idea. We're going to do it. But, you know, hats off to this kid for, for making a stand on that. And um, I know he's gotten some uh, support from, you know, industry leaders which is a good thing, and I'm sure that makes him feel good. I mean, I, I like the fact that he took a stand on this, and uh, and we'll see what happens. But I, the, I, I agree. I agree with Tim. I, it's good to have that young energy and young ideas, and I'm sure this kid's going to come up with some really good ones that I love down the road. I went out there and spoke one time, and that, that's a fabulous place. And, and if you ever really want to get re-energized about the game, just go out there and talk to those kids that have uh, gone to college to learn more about it. Well, one of the yeah, people that responded positively to, to Eric's comments on social media was Walker Hancock, president of Claiborne. That's a pretty big voice. And Walker said, this is much needed and long overdue. With declining full crops, a handicap system would help in a lot of different ways. Dale, is there a, 
a, a place in racing now for a handicap system. We handicap races have gone by the wayside. Well, I mean, if you had handicap races, that's one thing where you're going to do all the waiting and stuff for, for. But but there's a reason they've gone to the wayside. A lot of people didn't like them, and the more you put someone's opinion in, into the game, the more the problem is. I think the claiming system's a great game. I like it. I think if the guy's willing to risk selling his horse and putting it in for a tag, then uh, he deserves to win the race. And I think that it also gives people in the game, people outside the game, an avenue to get involved in the sport without having to be filthy rich and go to sales and buy young horses. I can understand why anybody in Lexington would want that because the only way you can really get a horse is through the auctions. And it, uh, I think the handicap the claiming system, there's nothing wrong with it right now. Now, as far as going for handicap races for the, the stakes, I'd love to see more handicaps brought back. I thought those were good races. You know, it was, uh, they all handicapped by weight back then, and, but you don't see it anymore. And one of the biggest reasons is a lot of people got it wrong. They were putting in horses too light or horses too heavy, and it was a difficult system. Yeah, if you have a real good horse, you want to, with a new system like that, maybe they'd be carrying 140 pounds. That's that's crazy. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next topic, and this one involves the jockeys because Santa Anita announced the finalists for the 75th George Wolf Memorial Jockey Award with the winner set to be announced in February. The Wolf Award is, of course, a highly coveted award by most jockeys as the winner is determined by a vote of nationwide riders. So it comes from their peers. This year's finalists are Junior Alvarado, Alex Berzer, Julian Leperu, Edwin Maldonado, and Rodney Prescott. Timmy, who should win this one? Well, you know, I think they're all deserving, but I think Junior Alvarado's probably got the inside track. Um, you know, he's going to get a lot of steam because he rode Cody's wish, and uh, that story resonated with uh, people all throughout the land. And, uh, you know, I th- the fact that uh, the relationship that <clears throat> Junior had with that horse, he was the, you know, he's the pilot of that horse who was, the feel-good story for racing because of uh, the late, great Cody Dorman. So I think uh, Junior Alvarado, who's a fine rider, but don't don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like he's – I mean, he, he deserves any accolade he gets. He's already won the Venezia, Mike Venezia Award in New York, which is a, a prestige award, prestigious award in its own right. Um, I think that uh, uh, Junior uh, could get the double here and, and get the George Wolf. Yeah, you're not going to get me to pick one of these guys. They're all <laughs> deserving, like you said, and I, I've got to see them every day. So, and I, I've met or know, I think, all of them, and a couple of them I call friends, and and uh, they're all deserving. And, and this is an award outside of racing. It's not really what you've accomplished on the track or how many races you've won or how many big races you won. It's about what you've done for the game, what you've done, how you've handled yourself during your career, right. and all those guys are well-deserving. It's a shame there's only one award to give out. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it was a little bit of an, an unfair question to ask it that way and say who should win. I think all of them are, are extremely deserving. Um, they, they represented themselves, as Dale said, on the track and off the track the right way. They're good family people. They do things the right way for the community, and um, we'll see who walks away with the hardware coming up in February. All right, it is that time of the show where we say hello to our good friend Nick Zito, and you guys get to tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. What do you think? Right or wrong? All right, only one for you this week, but it's a big one. 
The New York State Gaming Commission on December 4th upheld a hearing officer's recommendation to enforce a 10-day suspension and a $1,000 fine for trainer Todd Pletcher stemming from a meloxicam positive and a post-race test from Forte following the 2022 hopeful stakes. I said 2022 hopeful. Is their decision right or wrong? Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or Dale, wrong? Dale, what, what do you think? Oh, I mean, they're right. If he broke a rule, if a rule was broken, if there was a medication it wasn't supposed to be, yeah, you have to penalize the person. And it would have been the same no matter who it was, whether it's Todd or anybody else, they would have gotten the same penalty. Now, if you want to say if it was the rule fair, that's a whole different argument. But the rule was there and it was broken, and you got to take your penalty. Yeah, the. I mean, Dale's right about that, but the thing that just uh, gets underneath my skin on this is it took so long. Um, it was seven months before they even announced it, and then they come out and and say that uh, you know now, now that the gaming commission's going to uphold it, and you know the heist that came out and they they had said that uh, under their rules that wouldn't have been a violation. That's what I'm sure is driving Mike Rapoli into the uh, legal game. But um, the suspension and the fine for Todd is basically a slap on the wrist, 10 days and what, a grand, $1,000. Um, but it, the way the laws are written, I guess you have to say that uh, you, have to, you, you, have to, you have to do this. But I, I just question the way it was done, um, which doesn't make it right, but I just question the way that, that it was handled. It was almost like uh, it was almost. It almost looked like it was. It almost looked like it was personal to me. Well, I can tell you that owner Mike Rapoli did not think that the decision was right. He thinks it's all wrong. He went on to say, "Look, no one is shocked by this. The Kangaroo Court has spoken. They spent seven months making this decision, and they could have made it in ten minutes before we had the hearing." Yeah, he's probably right. He's probably right about that. Absolutely, he's right about that. Um, you know, I, mean, I think I just I don't know how much personal personal stuff gets into this, but I hope it doesn't. But I'm not saying it isn't. Well, you do the crime, you got to do the time. I guess is uh, one way to look at it. Um, and so that decision has been upheld. That announcement coming out this past week. That is. Right or wrong, Nick Zito will be back with us next week for that segment here in the show. One more topic to get to before Dale and Tim make their one final point of the week. And I, I thought this was kind of cool. You guys know how much I enjoy looking back on specific dates in racing history and talking about the history of the game. Well, it was on this day 24 years ago that jockey Lafitte Pinkai Jr. tied Bill Shoemaker's all-time record by registering his 8,833rd lifetime win aboard IB Casual in the fourth race at Hollywood Park. He would break Shoemaker's record the following day, and we heard that call as we opened the show here this morning. What comes to mind when you hear the name Lafitte Pinkai Jr.? Dale? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, other than being such a great rider, it was the discipline he had to ride at the weights he had to ride back then. If he were riding at the weights we are today, he might still be riding. There's always this whole story. I don't know how true it is. It and he and Wayne Lucas were flying somewhere, and and they brought around the peanuts, and and Lafitte didn't take any, but he had, he took a, a napkin out of his pocket and opened up, and there was one peanut, 
And Wayne said, what, is that your lunch? And he said, no. He broke it in half and said, this is my lunch. And he, he <laughs> ate half a peanut on the flight to wherever they were going. But the great discipline, the other thing that always comes to mind, if you've ever been to the Derby Museum, and you see their in-the-round slideshow that they put on, and you hear him talk about the day that he won the Derby on Swale. And he said he, never, he prayed that day, and he said he never asked God to make him win, but he said on that day when he was going out on a swell, he said, if you could just find it in your time to just give me a little extra push, I would appreciate it. And that that, that, that thing still gives me chills every time I go in there and listen to, to him talk about riding swell in the Kentucky Derby, arguably the greatest of all time. Yeah, he's uh, what, second all-time still in, in wins, what, over 9,000 wins. And... <clears throat> I just want to do an amendment to your story, Dale. He also had a half a cup of bouillon with that half a peanut that he had <laughs> as he and Wayne were uh, flying from California to New York. And I guess Wayne had a whole big old meal uh, right in front of front, right in front of Lafitte. But uh, you know, you think of Lafitte, and he just won um, won the Eclipse five times, and he won the Belmont Stakes three years in a row. He was on three of the Woody Stevens horses, um, Cielo, uh, uh, Caveat, and Swale. And, you know, winning the Belmont Stakes three years in a row as for a rider, is uh, that's rarefied air. There's only one other guy that did it, and that was back in the 18, late 1800s, Jim McLaughlin. Um, you know, Lafitte Pinkai, I didn't deal with him a lot, cause, uh, but when he would come to Saratoga, he just had a lot of class about him. And just a strong, you know, if you saw him with his shirt off, he looked like a middleweight boxer or a lightweight boxer. I mean, he was cut and he was in such great shape, strong, you know, a very accomplished, obviously, rider in everything he did. And, you know, just a humble guy. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the all-time greats for sure. What strikes me about Russell, uh, not Russell Bays, about Lafitte Pinkai Jr., I guess Russell Bays would probably be the same way because it seems like most of these Hall of Fame jockeys are. When when I get a chance to sit down and visit with Lafitte in any interview, I, I just bring up the name of a horse or just throw a specific race to him, and he remembers every detail of that horse, of that race, where he was at every point in the race, what happened at every point in the race. It's still so vivid to him, and... and I think all of those great jockeys kind of have that memory where they can look back on, on some of the rides that they've had or most of the rides that they've had and recall every single detail. And that to me is just so incredible. Yeah. yeah great, great disciplined athlete. How about this? Think about this. So Russell Bays is the all time leading jockey and wins with 12,842 Lafitte Pinkai jr. 9,530 in second place. If you're wondering if anybody is even close to catching him, Perry Oots is in fifth, and he has 7,418. He's the the closest active jockey to Lafitte Pinkai for that second spot right now, and he really ain't that close. John Velasquez, 6,555. He's not going to catch Lafitte before he finishes up. And then you come back to T.D. Houghton, who has 6,192. That's it. Those are the three active riders that are – trying to get to that level it it, they're not going to catch this one he's that record or that second place uh total is going to stand for a very long time guys it definitely 100 100 yep pinkai one of the the greatest of all time just so so good all right just a couple minutes left in the show it gives us time for you guys to make 
your one <clears throat> final point of the week. So, Timmy, I'll come to you first. What is your final point on this ninth day of December? You know, I want to uh, give a sky point to a couple of horses we lost um, the last few days. Sun King, who was trained by Nick Zito and owned by Tracy Farmer, was such a cool horse, always gave it everything he had. Uh, whenever he went out, I still remember when he got beat uh, in the Whitney in 06, I think it was, by Invasor, by a nose. And, you know, a hard-knocking horse. We lost him at the age of 21 when he was at, he was at Old Friends. And then um, on Friday, we just, Spitestown, the great sprinter, the champion sprinter of 2004, passed on. And, um, you know, what a fast horse he was. So I just wanted to... Uh, mention those two because they were two really good horses but sun king was one of my favorites yeah talking about lafitte brought up a memory of mine and it's one of my favorites in horse racing i just was sharing with everybody over in the clocker stand i was sitting this morning at gulfstream park several years ago i got to sit there in the presence of lafitte pincai angel cordero and jacinto vasquez and alan jerkins and just sit back and listen to them for an hour after the track had closed we just sat up there and told horse stories and uh this is such a great sport, and it just brought back a memory of that day. Yeah, well, I bet you one. they didn't have a chauffeur to drive them from Kentucky to Florida. No, my little chauffeur took care of me. She drove 1,300 miles on our whirlwind trip, but we finally got here. Did she drive she the entire drive? way? Uh, yeah, she drives. She does all the driving. I just sit over there and read a form. Wow, <laughs> must be nice. It is. She stopped uh, to get your lunch for you, too? She takes pretty good care of me. As much as I complain about her, she does pretty good. <laughs> Dale Romans would not be Dale Romans without Tammy Fox. I can guarantee you that. Absolutely not. We're like Yogi and Boo Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Guys, listen, enjoy the weekend. We're going to do this all over again next week. Good luck at the races, and we'll talk again. All right, fellas. Thanks. All right. If you hear about, have a topic that you want to hear, Dale and Tim debate and discuss, simply send it to me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net, and I will get that worked into the show. I can tell you, they absolutely love getting topics from our listeners. Uh, they're always so unique, and if you have a question on your mind, get it off your mind. Send it to me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net, and I'll work it into next week's show uh, for you here on the network. I Ask the Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. Trainer Talk, presented by Phasing Tipton. Please join me in welcoming Hall of Fame trainer Todd Fletcher. Hall of Fame trainer Nick Zito on Trainer Talk. Welcome Hall of Famer Bob Baffert to the program. Hall of Fame trainer Shug McGahee, nice enough to spend some time with us. Hall of Fame trainer Bill Mott here on Trainer Talk. Dual Hall of Fame trainer Mark Cassie. Trainer Talk, the biggest names in horse racing. Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Sirius 162, XM 207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women live by. Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. We leave no warrior behind. Wounded Warrior Project is a non-profit organization created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war. Whether those scars are physical or mental, we're here to make sure that they heal. And whether it's helping those with post-traumatic stress disorder live a normal life again, or giving much-needed support to injured warriors and veterans' hospitals, 
because no one deserves our help more than the men and women who risk their lives to keep us safe. Wounded Warrior Project. We never leave a fallen warrior behind. Ever. Learn more about what we do at WoundedWarriorProject.org. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolatey candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh-oh. He's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis, you only want one of those. He blows right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats. Uh-oh. Looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait, he jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand Up to Cancer and Rally want you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to TakeAHealthyStand.org. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony's Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony's Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. The brushing in up a stretch between Pride of the Nile and doing it the hard way. Meantime, Phaser looms up on their outside and puts her head in front. They're clear of uncontrollable. Past the eighth pole, Phaser drifting in a little bit, has the lead narrowly from Pride of the Nile, who is dogged. It's Phaser from Pride of the Nile. Phaser by ahead. Pride of the Nile coming again. Phaser with Pride of the Nile. A stirring finish in the starlet. Phaser! From Pride of the Nile and a photo finish, they were six lengths clear of uncontrollable and doing it the hard way. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. That is the way it sounded at Los Alamitos last year. FaZa winning the Starlet Stakes, which is renewed, by the way, later this afternoon. FaZa trained by Bob Baffert, who has won the Starlet a record nine times. He's going to look to make it ten later this afternoon. I'll talk more about that race here in just a minute. But I want to remind you that Blood Horse Magazine is the perfect holiday gift for the horse lover, horse lover on your list or for yourself. It is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. And right now, when you subscribe to the Thoroughbred Industries Premier Monthly Magazine, you're going to receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar, which is a $24.95 value. You're going to get that absolutely free. So go to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN or to buy a beautiful Blood Horse calendar, you can go to shop bloodhorse.com but why not go ahead and subscribe at bloodhorse.com slash hrrn and get that calendar for free it's a great deal here for the holiday season for the the horse racing fan and lover on your list or for yourself well bob baffert has dominated the starlet stakes just like he has so many of the races on the west coast nine wins as i mentioned just a moment ago his first win in the Starlet came all the way back in 1998 with my all-time favorite filly, excellent meeting in the colors of Golden Eagle Farm. 
his most recent coming last year and in between all of those other top fillies that have gone through that race. And remember that the Starlet used to be run at Hollywood Park, and then when Hollywood closed, it moved over to Los Alamitos. But when you look down the list of winners of the Starlet Stakes, you see the names like Abel Tasman and Take Charge Brandy on there, who was so absolutely uh, brilliant. Turbulent Descent. Remember Turbulent Descent from Mike Pipey winning that race in 2010? Blind Luck for Jerry Hollendorfer taking home the top prize the year before that in 2009. Hollywood Story. She was pretty good for John Sherris back in 2003. I remember L.O. Love for Craig DeLossi. You had Habipti for Bob Baffert, who was pretty good. And uh, going back even further, after excellent meeting gave Baffert his first win in the race in 1998. The following year, Baffert's good friend, the Hall of Famer D. Wayne Lucas, came back and won it with a filly named Surfside. And boy, did Wayne have it rolling, huh? Surfside in 99, 96, he won it with Sharp Cat. He had Cara Raffaella in 95 and Serena's Song in 1994. Yeah, some great fillies coming through there. We don't have, at least on paper right now, it doesn't appear that there is a Serena song or a, a Cara Raffaella, a Sharp Cat, an excellent meeting. It doesn't appear that we have that in this year's renewal later today. That's going to go postward right around 728 Eastern, 428 out on the West Coast. It's a mile and a 16th on the main track. Bob has, has two horses in there that are going to be uh, among the favorites, if not the favorites. The morning line favorite, is nothing like you who will break from the inside post position nine to five on the morning line. And Bob's other entrant is going to break from the far outside. There's only six horses. So the six post Grazia at odds of five to two Flavian Pratt will be aboard there. And the debut by Grazia was really strong. Stocked the pace drew off the win by three and a quarter lengths. And the daughter of uncle Mo figures to be a handful, but whether she's the favorite or not remains to be seen. Mark Glatt has Chitalis in there, and odds of two to one, actually second choice on the morning line. Daughter of Gunrunner. Some good pedigrees in there. We'll see if any of them go on to reach the levels of some of those other top fillies that I mentioned just a few moments ago. Busy show here this morning. My thanks to all of our guests for making it possible. My thanks to Joe Christofek for this week's Twin Spires Triple Play, Dale and Tim in the previous segment, and of course, Kurt Becker for his stroll through racing history. If you missed any portion of the show, head back to our website, horseracingradio.net to listen to the podcast, and you can do that as well on every podcast platform. Listen at your leisure. My thanks to my producers, Lee Delapina and Kim Price in our Lexington studios, and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening. Yeah, you don't get a go Steelers this week, guys. Sorry.